Welcome to the Party Wagon Podcast, where we talk about all things TMNT, past, present, future. I'm Eric from the YouTube channel Know You Grow Up. And I'm Brendan from the YouTube channel Brendan's Rambles. And we're at the Big Ten now. We finally right. hit double digits. <laughs> <laughs> no, it is pretty cool, though. I mean, I feel like it happened really fast. It seems like we just started this, honestly. I can't, I can't believe it's already been since, like, right after Christmas we started this. It doesn't feel that long. It feels like we just started, like, last month. <laughs> right. So since we're at episode 10, we figured what better time than to do a top 10 because we've had a lot of top 10s we've wanted to do. And Eric, it was your idea that, well, how about every 10 episodes we do a top 10 and it makes sense to me. So, yeah. So I thought about it and I'm like, for one thing, that means every 10th episode, we don't have to think that hard about what episode we're going to do. But also it is just kind of a cool theme to do our 10s on 10s. And honestly, I thought about it the way the rate we're producing episodes. So we'll get out 26 in a year so we'll only have to do two a year too which is really weird to think about that at the end of the year we'll be at 26 episodes and a year just seems like such a long time (laughs) all the years don't seem like a long time to me anymore years just fly by so it's like i still think like oh man wasn't that just like a couple years ago that i graduated high school it's like no dude that was like you know 20 years ago yeah i I do feel you there i know what you mean like i feel like The older you get, the more time just, I don't know, it doesn't seem to mean as much as it used to. Like, you just blink and it was like, oh, yeah, that was three years ago, not last year. Exactly. 2015, I still think of as like a recent year. That was like almost a decade ago now. So Yeah, that's, I mean, even thinking back to the 2000s and we're coming up on, it's going to be 2024 soon. Yeah, it's, it's insane. Really cool announcement to make. So... We've had somebody actually correct us a couple weeks ago that we said was our coolest correction we ever got. So Chris Fossa, author of Red Plastic, corrected us on something. And I reached back out to him. I'm like, hey, man, if you ever want to be on the podcast, you're more than welcome to anytime." And he agreed to do that. So that's really, really cool. So episode 11, hopefully, if we can get the timing worked out, he's going to be on for that. Yeah, we're going to be talking to him about, for anyone who doesn't know Rad Plastic, I'm sure you all know, but Rad Plastic is... Basically the quintessential like ultimate guide to the vintage TMNT toy line. And uh, he's the author. So it's going to be awesome having him on. It's going to be our first interview episode. So I'm looking forward to that a lot. Yeah, me too. So a couple caveats I just kind of want to talk about in that one too. So of course, we're going to talk about Rad Plastic. I mean, it's an awesome book. We have this awesome opportunity. We have to do it. But he also said he'd be interested in talking about some other stuff, like some prototypes and prototype collecting, which is a world that I know nothing about. Because I feel like the word grail gets tossed around like it doesn't really have a lot of meaning. But prototypes truly are grails. I mean, we're talking about like one of a kind items that, I mean, if you have them, nobody else has that in your collection. It doesn't matter if it's like the because the, they have there's a couple different versions you can get like the plastic cast prototype there's the ones that are made out of resin and stuff like that like there's a whole bunch of different levels to prototype as prototypes as well which he also covers greatly in detail in his book i actually i have a story about how i almost acquired one not a ninja turtle one and it was for a different playmates toy line but i guess i'll do that next week when we're when that's the topic so. yeah for sure <laughs> And again, um, that was like 20 years ago, and it feels like it just happened. But. Right? <laughs> so, but yeah, that's going to be an awesome episode. But we do have some toy news to cover. Uh, in, I believe the last podcast, we were saying how it was weird how NECA didn't do the April takeover this year for April. And they they did it just in time. It was like the last few days of April, and 
They announced a bunch of April figures. One of them is a long time coming. Yeah, so we're finally getting the redo of the Nekatune April figure, which is probably... Her and Casey are probably the most clamored for to get... Re- I mean, I don't even know if people want a redo of Casey. I'm sure everybody would be happy to get the original Casey. But the April is one that a lot of people weren't happy with. And I mean, I don't hate the figure. I don't think it's terrible, but it just was not right. It just wasn't what I wanted. Like, she kind of just looks like a little munchkin and not this, like, six-foot-tall reporter lady that I kind of always saw her as. It was a good head taller than the rest of the turtles. I, I'm not going to be that nice. I'm going to say I fucking hated that the original figure. <laughs> it was awful. <laughs> I never got it, and I never even felt like I needed to get it. But the Casey, I still want. But Casey, even then, yeah, like you said, he could be done a little better. Yeah, the new April, she I don't know how much taller she is. I have seen some people doing size comparisons, and it seems like some people are saying that she... She looks like she might be about the same height as the the old April, which means she's going to have a real tiny head if she's that yeah. small. But I do like the sculpt so much better. It uh, looks like most of it is new and it's just proportioned so much better. Even her face looks so much more like the original one. Yeah. And uh, I forget the name of the sculptor, but he's done... Uh, he did like the Mondo uh, Shira, you know the Mondo Motu figures that come out that are you know real big and real detailed and they're super stylized. Yeah, they're like uh, the six scale ones. Yeah, I've come so close to buying that mer dude before, but he's cool. <laughs> or, man. I'm sorry, mer merman, merman, right? Mer dude, man. Um, <laughs> there's a couple different ones because there's one where he has like that kind of iridescent paint job too. I don't know if that yeah. one was like an exclusive, but that one is sick. It is. They do a lot of like textural kind of differences and stuff. But the the artist who sculpted the Shira, which like the face on Shira was so well done. It was one of the best like human sculpted faces I've ever seen on a figure. He's the one who did the new April faces for the for NECA, I've heard, I believe. So uh I'd say the only thing that some people are complaining about, and I complained a little bit when I first saw it, not really complaining, was just kind of asking, was like the neck looked real long on uh the new April. But as you pointed out to me in a text message, like she she kind of looked like that a lot of times in the cartoon, actually. So she did have a bit of a long neck. So uh, the more I look at the figure, the more the neck doesn't bother me anymore, actually. Yeah. And I mean, I still wish it was just a little, little bit shorter, but it's definitely <laughs> not make or break for me. And it's just funny, though, that like, I mean, it seems like if, it, if they just made it like maybe one tenth shorter, everybody just would have been thrilled. Like there's always yeah. has to be something to give <laughs> people a reason to complain i'm not saying you're off base on that either i mean it, it's, yeah. it's kind of a long neck but again that is how the character is drawn quite a bit of the time and i think it's more so just because she has that deep cut in a lot and yeah and that's kind of what makes it look a little bit longer too because like i don't know they just kind of draw our neck tendons coming down far but yeah yeah i mean I as a whole i'm very happy with the figure but i just do really hope it's taller i haven't seen any of the size comparisons and that is going to be a bummer because that's just kind of what bothered me about it. I want April to be tall. Like I want her to be yeah. at least a head taller than the turtles. Yeah. That's how she was in the cartoon. And uh, you'd think if they gave her, you know, giraffe neck that she would be taller. But you know, I think honestly the neck, when you look at the figure on its own, just as a whole, the neck doesn't look long. It's when you stop and look at like the distance from like her neck to her boobs it's just, yeah. it's so long that it's like then you start to notice like oh yeah that is a really long neck but yeah the main thing for me really is i just hope uh, yeah i'd like it like a centimeter smaller but um you know i would i'd hope she's taller i really hope she's taller than the old one because that was that was just like such a 
of just a mess up on their part. Cause usually they're pretty good about the heights, like getting the heights, you know, equivalent to what they should be where the mm-hmm. neutrinos are real short and everything and ground chuck and dirt bag are real big and stuff. So it's, it's kind of a shame to see them screw up one of the main characters heights that badly. So I really do hope she is taller. And it's just weird because all the other human characters are pretty in line, especially like the channel six crew in general. Like I feel like Irma's proportioned pretty well. And so are Vernon and burn. So it's just, it's just weird that April seems to be the only human character that really is just kind of thrown way out of whack like that. Yeah, it is weird. I do think she should be around like Vernon's height. I will say as a quick side note, before we move on to the other April figure, I'm so surprised with all these accessory packs they've given us and stuff. They've never given us like a normal head for Irma. She always has that weird, like scared, shocked look on her face for NECA. It's either that or a rat. And it's like, (laughs) why can't we just get like a normal, like generic Irma head or a smiling Irma head or something like, or it would be really funny. It's like a flirty Irma head. That would be, there'd be a lot of photography options for that. But uh, yeah, it's just weird that she always has this like startled, like shocked, scared look on her face. And I was like, can't we get a normal expression for her? (laughs) The other April that got announced is kind of, an oddball like it's really random it's a what if version of april and you and i even kind of thought it was what if two different things i thought it was a what if if judith hogue was the chick on the side of the video game cabinet i thought it was just the the woman from the arcade like the original 1989 arcade cabinet the one where like for some reason michelangelo is wearing yellow i thought it was her but then like i saw the the judith hogue likeness and i'm like oh that's weird and now it and she comes with an arcade cabinet with pizza face on it, which is, yeah, we'll talk about that. <laughs> but everyone online is just saying it's a, what if Judith Hogue was the 1987 April? I'm like, you sure there's no connection to the 1989 arcade game? Cause that's where my, both of our minds went immediately when we saw it. I really don't know how I feel about, so I'm not like mad about the concept, but, and I wouldn't have been aware of this either because I don't really collect any other NECA brands, but everybody says it's just the, the Ripley buck repainted with Judith Hogue head thrown on top of it. Really? And it is a very oddly proportioned figure. Her proportions yeah. are just very weird. She's very boxy and very hippie. I feel like. Yeah. Uh, I mean, no disrespect to Sigourney Weaver, but she's always had that pancake ass. So, right. <laughs> so I guess, yeah, I didn't think about that. It's just the, like the boiler suit that Sigourney Weaver was wearing an alien yep. and only it's painted yellow. Oh, that's weird. Yeah. And NECA, they always find creative ways to kind of like the way Danny was like made out of uh, John Connor. Yeah. From, that's from the worst, worst reuse ever. <laughs> I never got the Danny figure. Actually. Does he come with the sex pistols shirt or did, were they not? That's the coolest part about it. That's literally the only cool part is this shirt is super dope. It's got the Sid Vicious <laughs> one on it. It yeah. is super cool. But I mean, he's so short, like out of all of the, and or the yeah the live action movie figures none of them are really out of proportion except for him and he's like greatly out of proportion like he's like way shorter than the turtles are like that's he looks weird. like a child next to april that's really weird hopefully they don't screw up kino like that hopefully kino's good i mean he's a fresh mold so i mean i feel like they're gonna do him right because i mean really that's like I, I feel like that's all they're sitting on from the second movie by the looks of it if they're already mm-hmm teasing the third movie i feel like there's not a lot left on deck for secret of the use yeah which they did tease the third movie there's a little the scepter, in interviews yeah. in the back of the little scepter and the, the link so those are coming i don't know who else they're going to do from there no one cares about any of the human characters from that movie but maybe we can get the uh 
the samurai guys in modern clothes dancing to Tarzan's boy. <laughs> okay, so that's the, exactly what I was going to say. If there was one random stupid-ass four-pack that I would want, that would be it for sure, without a doubt. <laughs> that would probably be the highest-selling four-pack you could make for that movie. So, Oh, yeah. So, yeah, but I yeah, definitely wouldn't mind getting that. And, I mean, it just seems like they'll probably run back Casey, you know what I mean? And probably. I, I wonder, it's really weird that, like, you don't hear anything about the Paige Turco situation either. Like, I mean, there's no word of her secret of the use April coming on deck. And then she was April in the third movie too. So yeah. I feel like that's a pretty big gap missing in both those two movies if they can't get her on board. Yeah, it is weird. I mean, I guess as of so far, they, they haven't done like splinter from any of the sequels. Cause you know, he looked different in pretty much each movie. Yep. Um, so I don't know how deep they're going with like alts of the characters who aren't the turtles and shredder. Um, but they might. And uh, yeah, I, I guess it all comes down to the celebrity likeness. Like if the celebrity's cool with it, like, yeah. I mean, that's why Tatsu supposedly word on the street is it's happening, but the, we don't know yet. I'll, I'll believe it when I see it. But yep. the, the reason we haven't had him so long is just that like, he just isn't responding to them. Like they keep asking him, is it okay? And I just don't get a response. Cause he's actually, training people in martial arts right. um but yeah this is weird though because this whole what if figure it's getting a lot of people excited for uh a potential what if 1990 movie line where like what if bebop and rocksteady or karai or something were in the 1990 movie if we get figures like that that's gonna be that might become my favorite turtles line because <laughs> that would be so cool to get like you know, Bebop and Rocksteady and Rat King and stuff like in the style they might have looked like if they were in the live action movies in the 90s. It's cool. And it's also because like it, it will feel like something fresh. It'll be nostalgic and fresh at the same time, which is something that I love. I love I love nostalgia. I love my nostalgia. But at the end of the day, I also like to see something new because I have all my nostalgia crap already. Like, look behind me. I got it all. So it's like, so uh, if they did that, I, that would be an awesome line. I'd be all in on it. But I don't know if this is actually a sign of that actually coming, especially finding out that she's basically all made out of recycled parts. So I don't know if they're like, oh, we're just going to go crazy with this now. So we'll see. But it could be a situation where they're like, okay, we don't want to dump a lot of money into this because we don't know how it's going to work. So we'll just tool up this random figure and see how people feel about it. Because it hasn't only been teased here, but it's also been teased in the tune line with the Space Adventure Usagi and the Space Adventure Donatello as well. So it, it yeah. kind of does look like they are teasing like these what-if figures from all angles. And Honestly, it's a smart bet by NECA because eventually you're going to run out of characters like there are. The live action well is not nearly as deep as the tune line, oh, you yeah. know what I mean? So to keep that alive, they're going to probably have to do some fresh things. And the Bebop and Rocksteady, if they could do those on par with Toka and Razar, those could definitely be some of the coolest action figures ever. Like, especially, I mean, I just think Bebop, like... His design, like we've seen it with Super 7, like there's so much cool stuff and detail that you could really throw in with him. And yeah, I just I just pictured him just looking like Toka Razar, and that would just be one of the coolest looking figures, I feel like. Even the Rocksteady would be sweet. And like you said, Rat King, and there's all kinds of possibilities that you could do with this. It is just kind of a bummer, though, that we might be getting to the end of like some lines though you know what i mean like the movie line is gonna dry up soon once they yeah. do the third movie like i doubt very much they're gonna do like 
I mean, maybe they will do next mutation, but I can't see that <laughs> happening. So unless they run it back to the first movie and just start doing new versions of old characters, like it is getting to the point where, I mean, turtles lines haven't really ever gone this far other than the playmates line. Like no lines have made it to the depths that the NECA lines have up to this point. Yeah, for sure. And I mean, even if they were to go back to the first movie, like, okay, we're going to do different versions of them. It's like, well, we already got so many accessories for the turtles where you can throw like hats and stuff on them to make them look like how they look in certain scenes in the movie already. And you already got, you know, two versions of Raph, two versions of April, two versions of Casey. So it's like, there's honestly not even that much more to do. There's really like Tatsu. If you were really, really desperate, you could do like April's boss. Uh, I really don't know who else you could possibly And I just, I don't want that. Like, I don't want Chief Mearns either, you know what I mean? Like, I just, (laughs) I don't know. I don't want any of that. And if they make it, I'm going to buy it because I have a fucking sickness, which really makes me mad. Like, it it, it really... We got two two Shredders, too, because we got uh, the shirtless Shredder also. Characters that really did it for me are the, like, from the first movie, from the throwback to Hamato Yoshi and Roku Saki, like... I look at those figures and they just don't do shit for me. You know what I mean? At the time I was like, Oh, this super deep cut. This is so cool. But I just look at these pictures or these pictures. I look at these figures and I'm just like, why did I buy two of these? Like what, why did I need a second one to keep them pack? And that's when I was like, all right, farm Casey in April. I'm not buying a second one for these. And yeah, even that Casey, like I know it's a Casey, but that's the worst figure in my collection far and away. That wife beater, white trash Casey if, if that was just the only figure you had in your room, so I'm gonna come over and be like, "What the fuck is this? Like, what what is this figure? This white trash man? Yeah, is a kid rock or something." <laughs> yeah, I actually I still don't have that uh, Casey in April because I got you aren't the, missing anything. You are missing I got nothing the, on that set. Ultimate April, then I got the Casey and Raph two pack. Uh, I've I've seen the hamato yoshi and Hiroko Saki like so many times i actually just saw it yesterday in a store in uh, walmart and i'm looking at it every time i see it i'm looking at it, i'm like i don't have these but i'm like yeah i still don't need them though and i just move on <laughs> and I, I still haven't bought them I, I i just don't yeah there comes a point where i don't need it i don't need like you know the uh regular Fall kid or anything like i don't need all these <laughs> deep cuts like that because at the end of the day like I want the, the action characters. And I know Hamato Yoshi and Orokosaki are action characters, but you see them like in shadow in a flashback for like yeah, a second. Yeah, it's so uh, dark. Like you don't even really know what they look like. Like, And then when you see the toy and you do see what they look like, it's like, oh, it's two half-naked Japanese dudes. It's like... Yeah, exactly. This <laughs> like, is nothing special. Nothing special at all. But I mean, they're good looking figures. They look like what they're supposed to, but it's just like, I just don't need that. A lot of them, when it just looks like an average dude just standing on your shelf, it's just kind of like, why did I buy this? Just an average yeah. dude. Like, <laughs> yeah, but, but it's good because it taught me a lesson that I, I definitely, I don't need to be a completionist and just get things that aren't really that cool just to keep being a completionist. Like, I don't <laughs> I don't need to have that mindset. Yeah, I, I have not been a full completionist, I think, with any of NECA's lines so far. Uh, there's still like every now and then there's a figure where I'm just like, okay, I don't need that. Like, I, I don't need that figure, but um, I'm, I'd say the tune line is the one where I have the sickness, the worst where I, I've gotten some figures like, you know, in any other toy line, I wouldn't have bought Jersey red or something, but like I'm in so deep on the tune line, I'm getting everybody. So <laughs> like, uh, and like, so no I don't want to like branch way out on this, but it's honestly a video that I've thought about doing a couple times is 
For the tune line, I feel like deep cuts just work a lot better than they do for the live action. I don't know why, you know what I mean? Like, even with the deep cuts for the tune figures, I don't think they're nearly as stupid as I do, like I just said, the Hamato Yoshi and Rokusaki figures. Like, I would much rather have the jersey red than those figures, honestly. And I, again, I don't even love jersey red. I think it's just because they are cartoons and they are these exaggerated, zany designs still. Like, a deep cut for the cartoon. Jersey Red does not look like a normal person. Jersey Red looks like a character. Jersey Red looks crazy. So it's like, even if they do these deep cuts, like, you know, the, the six-armed purple aliens and stuff, it's like, yeah, no one really remembers those characters. or they don't, They're not like anyone's favorite Turtles characters, but that does make for a unique action figure. So, like, yeah. I think that's the thing, is you do a deep cut with a live action property, and it's just a person. Yep. And it's there's nothing really like interesting about it. It's like you went to the mall, sh- shrink raid someone like the guy from Harvey Birdman, shrink raid them and just put them <laughs> on your shelf. And like it, it doesn't really give you the same appeal as like, you know, this crazy biker girl with red guile hair and stuff. Right. Guile hair. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, that's basically it for the uh, action figure news. Hold Except- on, there was one more that I forgot that we needed oh. to talk about. So two figures that got shown off. So they teased the packaging for the... Um, oh, the Ronin ones. Yep, the Ronin Raph and the Ronin Leo. But they also showed the Ronin Raph and the Karai figure. So this Karai figure, when Super 7 first showed their Karai, I'm like, oh man, wait till NECA brings out theirs. NECA's going to eat their lunch. I'm eating my words right now because it looks awful. Like I can, I don't know what is going on with that head sculpt, but it does not look like a woman at all. Like that looks like a dude. Like it looks like Alice Cooper. If he wasn't wearing makeup, like it is awful. Like I, I am shocked that this is coming from NECA. Like they're, they're usually pretty damn good with their head sculpts for the most part. I know even with the Judith Hogue head sculpt, a lot of people say like the expression isn't too inspiring or anything, but I've been pretty pleased with all the NECA head sculpts. And this figure just looks awful. Like unless it comes in a two pack with, which I'm assuming this might be a battle damage wrap and they're going to do a regular wrap, but I I do not want this figure. If it looks like this, it looks awful. Yeah. uh, I don't think I hate it quite on the level you do, but I don't like it. I think it's, it's all around just kind of an uninspired figure. Actually, it's crazy people say about the Judith. I think the Judith Hogue likeness is insanely good on there. I think it is too. I don't know why people hate that head sculpt too much. I, I think it's just the expression. People say she has like yeah. a blank expression on her face, but it's yeah. a very good head sculpt. Like her hair, I just feel like is done very well and stuff. I think like it's a, it's a blank expression, but it's like, it still has enough smile. Like there's enough cheer to it. Like it, it does capture her personality. And if you went too crazy, it would be like, well, why is she making this weird face? Like, I feel right. like they, they got a good medium of getting her personality without going too crazy with the expression. Even on the Bride of Frankenstein one, it looks great. So, um, but yeah, this new Karai is pretty bad. Yeah, Super 7 definitely crushed NECA's Karai. Ooh, way better. And I, and, and again, I don't even love that Karai. I mean, I okay, either. I like the Super 7 Karai, <clears throat> but it's just not what I want for that line. Like, it just, it's not the weird, crazy mutant figures that I just like about that line. Also, yeah, I, I do think it is a tad un, uninspired, too. I like the hits of red in there. It's kind of reminiscent of how she looked in the 2003 cartoon. But um, in general, it's just like generic ninja girl wearing black and red. It's not like the most interesting uh, figure ever. Yeah, so it, it, it is kind of disappointing to see NECA do such a bad job with Karai, especially after they just did a pretty decent job with Lotus Blossom. So, yeah, it, 
yeah, it's very weird. Like even just, I, I don't know. I just, that's the only thing that really bothers me outside of that. She looks very Electra ish too. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like, I feel like it almost looks more like an Electra figure than what I see when I see Karai. I actually, I don't remember. Cause I know when she's in like the case in the last Ronin, when, you know, she's a, you know, like a vegetable in the case, uh, she does, she just has like a body, like a tight bodysuit thing on. But I forget in the flashbacks, is she wearing like the armor pads that hang down like she's like known for? That's what I can't remember now either, because honestly, I'm trying to remember what, and I should have looked it up, what her face even looks like in the end of the Mirage run. I can't even think of what she's wearing in that. I mean, assuming, yeah, I, I can't even think of what it looks like. Because the, the first thing, Karai's never had like a super dynamic design. I feel like she's always just been a bit generic, a bit like, if someone asked you to draw a badass ninja girl, that's like most people would just draw Karai. Yeah. Um, I feel like she's not, she's never been too inspired her design, but the one thing I've always clung to that she has in most of her designs as like her identifying feature is kind of like the shoulder pads that hang down into like the almost like bamboo looking like, you know, armor that goes mm-hmm. down. That's kind of the, the one constant that I think kind of sticks out about her design that I don't remember. I don't remember if she had it in the flashbacks in the last run. It's been a while since I read it, but I, I, don't I know like again I know in the, the present where she's unconscious I know she doesn't have it I don't know if she had it in the flashbacks I don't remember but to me yeah, that's like the one thing because I haven't read this because the second issue is where she would have been like heavily featured and I can't remember because I haven't read that one forever yeah let's read it again I'm, I I'm just go grab the book right now and look <laughs> right I mean yeah it's way over there but <laughs> <laughs> I'm I'm interested in these I still don't own either of the Ronin figures or any of the three Ronin figures I didn't get the red Ronin either um I don't own any of the Ronin figures they've done yet for NECA again I've seen those a million times in stores I've had a lot of opportunities including the red one I just saw the red one like a couple days ago in Target, but I am interested in the line. It's one of those one that's ones that's like, okay, if there's a really long time with like no new figures, I might start grabbing the neck, uh, the Ronin ones. But uh, they're not ones I'm going to dive on immediately, like the Toon line or the movie line. I didn't get the red Ronin figure, and I don't really have any interest in that one. In I'll definitely, I'm definitely going to go in on this line because I, I don't know. It's, it's it's one of my favorite universes. I really like the Ronin universe, the NECA figure. So if you ever just get one, just get the regular armored Ronin. Like that figure is badass. Like I really do love that figure. It was done so well. In the one without the unarmored one, I think you could pass on that one easily. Like that's just yeah. a cool second figure. But if you have the armored one, I feel like that's definitely the superior figure for sure. But I do like, because I mean, like, I know the one you really like is the Donatello that has like yeah. the, the Raiden hat and stuff like that. Like, <laughs> yeah. yeah, I just, I don't know. I think there's some cool designs. The raft's really cool. <laughs> I hope we do get a regular clean version of the raft and not just the one where he has all the blood on him. But yeah. it's cool. You can like stick the arrows in his back and stuff where it yeah. looks like the cover of the comic. It's pretty cool. <laughs> yeah, because Ra- Raph takes so much abuse in that comic. Yeah. He gets like... We, we probably see the most, like, just the largest amount of damage done to Raph of any of the turtles. Well, because the other ones are kind of killed unceremoniously, I feel yeah. like, as opposed to Raph's episode. Like, yeah, that one, it really gutted me that first time I saw it. I was like, this is a bummer. <laughs> yeah, you're watching your your, your favorite turtle get, like, right? horribly slaughtered. Donatello and Splinter had, like, the most artistic, like, 
death. I feel like their death scene was like, like if that that could be in like a Kurosawa film or something. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. And a lot of people feel like theirs was rushed, but I feel like theirs was pretty cool. The only one I'm really not happy about was Leonardo and Casey. Yeah. Like I feel that one was just kind of like the fuck, man. Really, that's how they're going down. <laughs> it, it almost seemed like they knew, like, like again, I've said there's tons of people who love Leo the most, but I think. When it comes to hardcore turtle fans, usually Leo is the least popular. So maybe they were just like, ah, let's just, we'll just kill him off the, the, the quickest and crappiest and no one will care. And stuff. But uh, I, I think Leo is one of the most popular turtles, except for extremely big turtles fans. Then he's not. But outside of us, he's like the biggest turtle. But yeah. And that, I feel like that's what I've definitely come to realize too, because the amount of people that love Leonardo has really <laughs> shocked me since I've really been paying attention to the people that say that. I, I don't know. I'm excited for this line. I'm excited to see where it goes, but the cry figure, I'm just, I, I don't know. I hope they change that head sculpt because it just does not look good. It's very just uncharacteristic of NECA. I feel like. Yeah. I mean, to be honest, I, I, I don't really need Grandma April either. There's a no, lot of that's them. one that I might pass on as well. I might just go with the turtles, honestly, and I, we'll see how Splinter yeah. looks. I'll probably just go with the turtles. If, if you're not doing like, again, I, I, that's just kind of how I've always been since I was a kid. If you're not doing like fighter characters, I just don't care as much about them. Like if it's just, you know, you're, here's an old woman missing an arm and a leg. It's like, that's cool, but it's like, <laughs> I don't really need, I don't have any like, desired like to put that up I'll, I'll probably just get depressed if i look at grandma april every day in my room i'm like oh man i'm gonna die someday it's <laughs> all right <laughs> <laughs> yeah it's uh it's definitely a cool line though there's so much potential because there's so many like interesting redesigns and the redesigns tell the stories of the characters too like you look at the designs from the ronin verse and you can just see like what this character's been through and like what state their life is in now and stuff and I think it's really a good line to tap into for figures. But yeah, you're right. That Karai is, you know, it's, that's not a winner. So I guess they can't all be. I guess now we can move on to uh, sort of related to figures. But so I was telling you that there was this thing. I don't know what it is. I don't know what it's called. But for, I, I believe it's for animated movies. Uh, this big expo, private expo, like shareholders and stuff where they show off trailers for upcoming movies and, and all that. And uh, they did one for Turtles, uh, Mutant Mayhem. And we haven't gotten the trailer. Apparently, it's a new trailer. It, it hasn't dropped outside of this expo. There's been some leaks and rumors about it. But one of them was uh, we saw cardbacks to the action figures, which give us little character bios of the turtles in the movie. And we learned some weird things about some of the turtles in this movie based on these cardbacks. Like, uh, Leo is not going to be the leader. Uh, he wants to be the leader, but he's not. And they don't have a leader. So that's that's a weird. I guess it's kind of saying like it's starting before they're really the Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles. So I feel like this is kind of again not going to be their origin story, but they're like they're clearly young here. I would say almost like 12, 13 by the yeah. feel of it if I had to guess. So I would say in all the other iterations are probably closer to like 16 to where they are a little bit more established. So I feel like that's how the rise series is too, to where Raph's actually the leader. It's not Leo yeah. and Leo becomes the leader at the very end of the series. So they might kind of just be mixing all those worlds, but it wouldn't make sense to where if they're still that young, where they haven't really defined the leader yet. So I, yeah. I can see it kind of being like, because again, I feel like this is going to be a coming of age story for the turtles. The more and more we learn about it to where, this is like their first adventures out into the world. Yeah, for sure. 
I don't think they're going to make Raph the leader, though. I think they're going to make it uh, just for like there is no leader. Because Raph, they say, his his description is Raphael likes to break things. So it's like yeah. he's just going to be a hothead. Uh, they say his dream is to be a mixed martial arts fighter, which is kind of funny because he already is one, basically. <laughs> I guess he says that that he wants to punch someone so hard they throw up, which is a dream <laughs> of mine as well. Yeah, they say he wants to punch <laughs> someone so hard they throw up. But he's also a very emotional and soft guy. He just has a hard exterior. It's like, oh, he sounds kind of messed up, actually. <laughs> I mean, he sounds like a teenager to me, man. That's how I feel <laughs> like as a teenager. I feel like true. I'm in my 20s up to my 30s, honestly. <laughs> That's how I feel just like waiting in line at the DMV. So, right. um, Michelangelo, Mikey's the comedian, of course. The weird thing is that he wants to be a stand up comedian. I can see that, but at the same time, I just think of Raphael Knocks Him Dead from the original 87 series. I think of Raph as being, because Mikey, you know, he's a goofball. He doesn't take anything seriously, but I don't think, I don't think of Mike as being clever enough to tell jokes. (laughs) Like I think of like Raph is the one who makes like, you know, remarks and stuff about it. Whereas Mike kind of just makes light and goofy of the situation, but I guess he's going to be cracking going, you know, witty jokes in this movie, or maybe not because they say his brothers hate his jokes. So. Which again, like that makes sense because he is just like he's kind of the dumbass of the group, really. That's just kind of how it always is. And he's always just like even back to the 87 cartoon, that's how it was. And pretty much every yeah. iteration has kind of made him to where he's like the punchline of a lot of yeah. their jokes. So where Raph does have that more like sly sarcasm, which has always kind of been my brand of humor. That's why I've always appreciated <laughs> yeah. it from I've always liked the snarky sarcastic characters. I don't know why I've just always <laughs> really related. I was very snarky and sarcastic in my younger years, so I got that. Oh, but okay. yeah, I, I feel like all their tropes are kind of very well defined at this point, but that's the one that's kind of just been mixed over the years because I feel like the 87 rap is really one of the only unique raps. Every rap outside yeah. of that is to where he is kind of the hothead, the, the violent, crazy one all the time to where they couldn't really have that in the 87 cartoon. Like they had to have yeah. them all be kind of fun loving. So that, but that's how I always kind of see rap too, is a sarcastic snarky one. And I would consider him to be, the joke maker over Michelangelo, even though Michelangelo does have a lot of bad jokes. Yeah. I think like, yeah, Raph was really the 1990 movie just changed Raph. Cause that wasn't out yet when the 87 cartoon came out. I think once the 1990 movie came out, everyone was like, okay, that's Raph. That's what we want Raph to be forever now. And uh, it worked. Cause that's a great Raph, but yeah, the 87 Raph was definitely, I still always think of Raph as the one who has the smart ass comments. Uh, well, cause honestly, so the micro, the Raph, one out of one micro series that was the fourth book that got put out and that was really the first character development that kind of any of the turtles got that that's the reason he left is because he was he's like oh man why do i gotta be such a hothead why do i gotta fly off the handle all the time so that was honestly the first real character development that was ever baked into any of the turtles yeah because the first three issues they're basically just batman like they all kind of just they're just like gritty serious hero they're all monologuing and stuff and uh, yeah, Raph is, you're right. He's really the first one to actually get character development, like individual character development in the, the comics. So yeah, I guess it, it's weird. The 87 cartoon just didn't even pay attention to that. And they were just like, now nah, we're going to do, do them our own way. I guess they could, like you said, they couldn't make him too angry and violent. So uh, yeah, I guess that's where the sarcastic thing came from. I guess like they're like, okay, he won't fit in with his brother's in that he makes fun of everything his brothers do rather than he complains about everything his brothers do. So, But the, probably the oddest one uh, is Donatello. And most of it's not. You know, Donnie is devastatingly smart and he's not afraid to show it. Like, okay, I get that. He's always been that way. 
Um, but then his dream, uh, he has two. He wants to be a game developer by day, which is like, okay, I, I, I guess I can kind of get that. He wants to be a K-pop star by night. <laughs> so K-pop is like one of the most popular things in the world. But since I'm a 36-year-old man, I know nothing about it. So I can understand that kids probably know a hell of a lot more about K-pop than we do. So yeah. I, I don't even know. I don't like to me, it's crazy that we had 90s or in the 90s, we had boy bands and they're so played out right now. But it's all of a sudden come full circle into korea where it's like the coolest thing in the world now is to have boy bands yeah it does seem like i think it's something that's been going on i don't know because you know, again 36 year old man i i think uh it's something that has been going on for a while but i think it blew up like globally in recent years or not recent years like the past decade i should say but it's something that they've always done in like like japan had j-pop you know or was always yeah. like teen idols and like you know they get up in costumes and they're probably usually not even the one singing. It's just a little weird that they made Donnie like he's, I, I'm guess, I don't know if that's even going to be in the movie or if that's just like a funny little line for the, uh, the toy, but uh, like maybe he acts all like, you know, brainy and stuff. And then secretly he just wants to be a K-pop dancer. It almost seems like they're like, Oh, he's a nerd. Just make him a weeaboo. It almost seems like they're just doing that. Like, Oh, he's just like really into anime and i think like they didn't know the difference between k-pop and j-pop so they're like i ah, just make him into k-pop or something <laughs> it, it almost seems like that they're like oh he's he's like an anime nerd or something so uh i don't know if that's what they're doing but because a lot of people like k-pop now but uh well maybe yeah. it's gonna be like this dark secret that he like hides from all of his brothers and stuff like that too and they're gonna walk in on him and he's gonna be practicing his k-pop stuff in the mirror yeah, and I, I can imagine Raph will make fun of him for it, but uh, well, because also, so Donnie's the one that sounds like he hasn't hit puberty yet, too, right? He's the one that has yeah, a yeah. real, real high voice, yeah. So, yeah, he sounds like he's 10, yeah, yeah. You had the theory that he's gonna hit puberty during the movie and he's gonna get a real deep voice at some point. <laughs> <laughs> that would be funny if that did happen. There's been some other rumors and stuff, I haven't really been looking into them. There's been some, you know, images of the Superfly figure and the, the Leatherhead figure, you can get a little better view of them and stuff, but. For the most part, there's nothing that's like definitive fact that's come out. So I'm not going to, you know, just go down a list of rumors and stuff or we'll be here all day. So that's really all there is to talk about the new movie. Uh, before we go on to our main category, though, there is some comic news. Actually, quite a lot of comic news to cover, though. On top of all the series going right now. So we'll recap them. There's the IDW ongoing series right now. There's the last Ronin Lost Years, which is a totally different universe that's going on right now. They're doing... Inusagi Yojimbo crossover right now. They're doing a Power Rangers crossover right now with Boom Studios. There's a Street Fighter crossover that's about to come out and also a Stranger Things crossover that's about to come out as well as a new ongoing series that's about to come out which was based off a mini series that they did last year which is like a theoretical continuation of the 87 cartoon to where it's supposed to be set between what it be Season, season seven, seven and season eight. eight, so it's yeah. before Red Sky. After season seven is where this is theoretically supposed to be set. So it's going to be an ongoing series, and if you haven't, you can pick up the um trade paperback of the original one here soon. And actually, this Saturday is Free Comic Book Day, and you can get a free issue of the first issue of the animated or the cartoon mini series comic book this Saturday if you go to your local comic shop, which is really cool. Oh, nice. Yeah. Oh, I'll have to check one. There's a comic shop uh, about a town over from me. I'll have to yes, check it out. Comic Book Day. That's the good one this year. Is the it's the first issue of the miniseries, the Saturday Morning Adventures, is what. Yeah, Saturday oh, Morning awesome. Adventures is what that's called. 
Yeah, because I, I haven't read any of these, as I've said, you know, multiple times now. I, I don't follow the comics too much. I read Ronin. I read a lot of the original Mirage stuff years ago. But in general, I don't really follow the comics. So I didn't read the 87 Fred Wolf continuation, but I would be super interested in doing that because the, the artwork, artwork looks awesome. And it's like more of what we actually would have wanted back in the day instead of, you know, I know some people like the Red Sky stuff, but like most people who checked out on that show, like when we did before it be became the Red Sky series, we don't really have any affinity for the Red Sky series. So uh, it, it would be cool to see more of what we loved as kids uh, kind of, the, you know, continue today. And that's I, I, cool to hear it's ongoing that it was popular enough that people just still want to see more stories of those turtles. They're just those like our turtles from when we were kids are still so big today. That's so cool. And what's funny is IDW started it with GI Joe. They did a GI Joe Saturday morning adventures and they did not get an ongoing series from there, but I heard Joe, I think Hasbro is taking their property somewhere else. I can't, oh, okay. I could be wrong, but I think they're leaving IDW, but yeah, it is really cool because everybody was really hyped on that series. And so the miniseries, everything was episodic too. Like each story was kind of its own contained adventure. So I don't know if this is going to be more of like serialized story. I wonder I wonder if this is going to be a little bit more serialized than those were. But regardless, it is a very, very, very good feeling comic if you want more animated series from the 87 series. It, it fits that tone very, very well. It's a high recommend for me. And it is just a lot of ton, it's a lot of fun. Like it's not real serious. It's goofy like the cartoon, and it is just more of what we wanted. Cool, that's awesome. I've seen Rat King's been in it and stuff, but uh, yep. I, I think he's going to be in the next coming series a big player in what's coming up right away. I can't remember. I looked at it a while ago, but they're going to they're gonna do Armageddon Game eighty seven version, <laughs> right? <laughs> no, but uh, the one that I'm a little like intrigued about, a little confused about so we'll get to the street fighter one in a second but the stranger things one so i like i love stranger things stranger things is a great show it's one of the only reasons i still even go to netflix it's cobra kai and stranger things like the right. only reasons i even go to <laughs> but stranger things i guess like you know stuff like street fighter has had crossovers all the time they've hung out with wolverine and spider-man and all that and turtles you know they, they usually they cross over with like power rangers and batman and all these superhero things stranger things seems so like not grounded because it's so weird, but like it, it's so strange, I guess. Uh, it, it feels grounded. These are just like normal kids going through normal kid problems and stuff in like, you know, Hawkins, America. Like it's like a little small town America. And uh, it almost feels like, okay, I know this is probably a different, you know, continuity. So this is like a different version of Lucas and a different version of Dustin and stuff. But to me, I, I can't think of there being different versions of the Stranger Things kids because they've only had the right. one universe, whereas there's been a million turtles. So to me, it's like, so where does this fit into the Stranger Things story? So like season five ends with like, you know, Eleven has to fight Vecna and Max is like in a coma and everything. And it's like, so do they just like run off for a week and they hang out in New York and meet the turtles, and like do this and then go back to Hawkins and have the fight of their life? Or is this like, I know it's a complete what if story, but I guess it, uh, what I'm saying is that Stranger Things, those characters feel like real people so much that it feels weird almost to do something like this with them. So I'm pretty sure that so because this is a crossover with Dark Horse, so I'm pretty sure Dark Horse is doing Stranger Things comics, which I know nothing oh. about. I've never read them, but I'm pretty sure that is a thing. So I'm assuming it's its own reality entirely, but I have no idea what goes on in those comics. 
So the oh. one thing I do know, because I read like the synopsis, is that the Stranger Things crew is going to New York to get away from all their problems, but there's just more problems there. So that's kind of funny because the problems in Stranger Things are the kind of things you can't just like let like leave alone <laughs> for a right. bit. It's like, yeah, you know, let's just move away, let all those crazy upside down <laughs> demons come into our world and kill everybody. It's like we'll come back and deal with it later. Yeah, it seems like uh, Eleven's really the only one that can do anything. So if she's not around, they're in trouble. Yeah, that's true. Yeah, it's it, it's interesting. And then I was just saying before we we did the you know started doing the podcast is it there's this weird thing going on where we're getting comic crossovers announced now for all of the crossovers that Playmates Toys did last year. So we they did Street Fighter and Ninja Turtles. Now we're getting a Street Fighter Ninja Turtles comic crossover. They did Stranger Things and Ninja Turtles, and now we're getting a Stranger Things and Ninja Turtles crossover. I want my Cobra Kai crossover personally. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's it's weird. I almost wonder if Playmates knew if they were given a heads up, like okay, there's going to be a crossover with these characters, make some promotional figures. If they were meant to be promotional figures, that's a really bad promotion because they, they came out like a year before the, the, the comics were even announced. So like no one's going to even know they're related. So that's kind of like, because I, I didn't even realize that until you said it, but you're right. They're exactly on point with those two sets. And it, it does just seem like the marketing was off there if that was their original con- intent or if they just had these weird licenses and then they're like, okay, yeah. let's just run with this and do the comics. But yeah, they're very strange crossovers. It's weird that they didn't run them at the same time. And if they did a Cobra Kai crossover, I don't even know how they would make that one work. So I feel like the Street Fighter one, they're already fighting in a tournament. I'm pretty sure that's what's happening. Oh, okay. So I don't know what they could possibly do with Cobra Kai. And I don't even know if there's a Cobra Kai comic going. Because, I mean, it, it makes sense for Street Fighter because they're all, like, super-powered. You know, they all have like, yeah. lightning and fire powers and crazy stuff. Cobra Kai, like, they're just people. Just high school <laughs> kids doing karate. That's all it is. So it's like, yeah. Like, in Stranger Things, they're just kids except for Eleven. But, like, if a threat shows up, it's, a, you know, a big threat that the Turtles could deal with. But in Cobra Kai, the turtles could just body everybody. Like, they right. could just take everyone out. So <laughs> I don't know. But at the same time, it's like, I imagine, like, Raph hanging out with, like, Johnny Lawrence. Like, that would be so fun. Oh, dude, <laughs> yeah, that'd be perfect. <laughs> like, Or even hanging out with uh, Miguel, like, uh, you know, the, the kid that Johnny was training. There's so many crossovers you could do. Just, like, you know, have Leo and uh, Danny LaRusso hanging out and stuff. And it would be a lot of fun. But yes, yeah, story-wise, I don't really know like what the plot could be because it's like, oh crap! Like you know, Crank and Bebop and Rocksteady are here. Go forth, high school kids, fight right. them! Like, <laughs> they're all gonna die. So I I don't know, but yeah, it's it's. I'm curious to see what they do. I'm curious. I didn't even hear anything about the Street Fighter story. You said it's a tournament. Yeah, that's the, all I read again is the synopsis for that. That's what it sounds like because I had the Street for Street Fighter ones. Um, on deck at my comic shop i haven't i don't even know if the stranger things ones have been put up yet so i'll get that story clearly i'm gonna have to read it so i can let you know what goes on but i mean i feel like the turtles are just they are so hot right now like i've never seen any comic do four crossovers at the same time before so usually everybody wants a piece of the turtles everybody making comics everybody making action figures like i just i i don't know i'm afraid to say it but i feel like we're at the pinnacle right now like i I don't see how it could get much steeper than this outside of if we get that live action movie sometime in the future 
You know, the, the only thing that could probably possibly make the turtles crash and burn right now is if this if this mutant mayhem movie fucking sucks. <laughs> and that that's honestly my biggest fear is that and again, I don't think it's gonna suck. I, I think yeah. a lot of people it's not gonna be what they wanted, but we're on a pretty good roll. Like, I mean, I don't know. I have high hopes. I'm not going to say high hopes for it, but I feel like it's going to do just good enough. But I feel like a lot of the main, the mainstream steam is going to probably die down a bit. I think it, if it does well, it'll have like a big boost for the next coming month or so. But I think that's going to be it. Unless they announce another one and get it out real soon. Like I said, I feel like 2023 is going to be looked back as the pinnacle year. And I'm afraid everything's just going to kind of slide downhill from here. That's your your uh, biweekly dose Nostradamus of, uh, prediction right there. P- pessimistic predictions of Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles. Wouldn't that be great if our, the, the topic we do a, a podcast about just suddenly just dries the fuck up in a year? <laughs> well, I mean, let's be real. It's not like casuals are listening to us anyway. Like, unless yeah. you're freaking eating and pissing and shit Ninja Turtles like we do, you're probably not listening yeah. to this podcast. So I, I will say, though, actually, to, to, to play devil's advocate and counter what I just said about if the Seth Rogen movie fails the the uh, michael bay movies were hated by the ninja turtle community i like the second one for what it is um but uh, mostly especially that first one was unanimously hated uh by ninja turtle fans and most people hate the second one but turtles still stayed huge i mean right after those that second movie we started getting like the NECA figures and stuff so it's like i don't know if i think like the the legacy of the brand is so strong especially since we have the NECA figures and the new 87 comic and like the shredders revenge and the cowabunga collection and all this stuff that there are like eight-year-old kids playing shredders revenge and cowabunga collection and watching reruns of the 87 cartoon their parents have and stuff i think the legacy of the brand is so strong that if a new iteration bombs it might not even affect it honestly and obviously it's not going to be this big forever like something's going to make it go down but i don't even know if the movie even if the movie was a huge bomb i don't know if it even could honestly have too big of an effect on turtles right now like i said i think turtles just has a big hardcore community right now and i I don't think that would affect like again the people like us i don't i don't think it's not going to wane my interest by any means it's not being made for us yeah exactly and i I think that's that's just more so the reason for everything going on is it's just people our age are getting I mean, you've been collecting for a long time, but people for me, like me, I just got back into collecting. And I feel like that's more so the case is a lot of people have gotten into it in the last four or five years and yeah. kind of brought the franchise up to where there has been a lot of people that have been in the pipeline for a long time. And I feel like you're getting a lot more of the influx of the newbies like me that are really propping it up right now. I mean, when it comes to the modern, like modern action figures, I started in the past four or five years. I didn't, uh, before well, there that, really like, yeah. wasn't anything for modern figures before the past four or five yeah, years either. Really. So. There was like that crap Playmates is still putting out, re-released over and over again. But <laughs> and if you were lucky enough to get the original comic book Mirage figures, it's like a thousand yeah. dollar set now. So oh by what well, by what studio? The NECA, like the ones they put out in like oh. 2008, the Mirage figures. Yeah, because I have the the Playmates one that comes with the the comic book, the the Leonardo, uh, like a side series where like, you know, it's basically, Oh yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. Where he gets jumped and like crashes through April's apartment and stuff. I have the playmates figure that that I got back in like 2013 or something, but, uh, but yeah. uh, Well, I guess one last thing I'll say one rumor. I said, I was going to talk about rumors from the movie. One of them is just so zany. I have to mention it that I heard. I don't know if it's true or not. Apparently Paul Rudd, who's playing Mondo Gecko 
He's doing an Australian accent in the movie. I don't know. I feel like Paul Rudd's one of those people that can do no wrong. I feel like he's somebody that nobody ever has a bad thing to say about that guy. So I'm interested yeah. to see how his Australian accent goes. Oh, apparently also, I said I wasn't going to talk about any of these 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 rumors. Apparently scumbugs in the movie also. But hmm. And that's what I was hoping for, that there would be a lot of characters that aren't even announced or that maybe their actors just aren't famous enough for them to announce their yeah. names that, that I'm hoping we do get an even bigger slew of the mutant characters, even if they're just background characters and you're just like, Oh damn, that's scumbug. Like, you know what I mean? Like <laughs> yeah. still just be cool to pay homage and stuff like that. Yeah. Kind of a mutants who's who kind of thing. Yeah. So. This is April O'Neil channel six news, and you're watching the party wagon podcast. All right, you guys, so we're going to kick off our first top 10 countdown here, and it's going to be top 10 episodes from the original animated series, and this list was a lot harder to do than I thought it was. For some reason, I thought I only liked like 10 episodes, but it turns out there's a ton where I'm like, oh man, this one's not going to make it, oh man, this one's not going to make it. It was super hard to do. The same with you. I, when, I, when we first came up with this, I'm like, oh, that won't be that hard. I think I know what my favorite episodes are. Like, you know, there's a lot of filler episodes, to be honest, and stuff. But then, like, I, I so I started going through, like, you know, all of my, my seasons and stuff. I'm looking through them. And I'm like, oh, shit, I love that episode. Oh, shit, I love this episode and stuff. And I'm like, what I originally imagined was going to be my top 10 list is not at all what ended up being my top 10 list, actually. <laughs> so mine was... I knew a lot of what was going to be on there, but like I said, I just didn't realize I did have so many favorite episodes. And when we were talking about it a little bit earlier this week, I knew it was going to be very season one and two heavy, but season three was kind of like the shocker season for me. Season honestly, had so many bangers. Yeah. See, that was the same for me. Season three, it might even have the most episodes if you count. Cause we're going to do honorable mentions before our number ones. I, I don't know. Season three might have the most on uh, collectively on my list. Actually, yeah, I think it does for me now too. And even season four crapped a couple in there. So, and that's where we'll kick things off. So my number 10 episode is Raph meets his match season four episode number nine. And I'm sure this is on your list somewhere. I know it definitely is. It's our introduction to Mona Lisa and it's a kind of a raft solo story, which it, typically I like having all four of the turtles there together. There's there's very few solo adventures that I really like, but this one, it's a raft heavy one. It's one that I do like. It's kind of a stupid story how they get to there. They buy their pizzas from a place that's literally a Donald Trump ripoff. Donald Crump or what, what is his name? Which I can't Donald Crump, yeah. Donald Crump, yeah. Um, and Raph wins a free trip to this cruise where everything goes wrong gets taken over by these evil scientist pirates with all the anemone monsters which i can't remember if we talked about this or not but the anemone monsters are one that i would definitely really really yeah. really want NECA to, i really hope they do those in an ultimate figure. two pack with like the pirate captain and an anemone that would be yeah. awesome or I, I feel like they'll probably do him in an ultimate so he'll probably be huge i bet if they do that that's and you true, want to yeah. army build them too so yeah that, that that's one of my highest wants on my NECA list because the, yeah so every episode that's on my top 10 list was one that I had on VHS. And this was the one that came when the, it was the sewer heroes quadrilogy or whatever that yeah. originally came out with all four of the turtles. And it was the first episode. <laughs> so it's one that I've seen a million times. I loved Mona Lisa. I typically didn't even like female characters at the time, but she was one that I did like because 
again, we talked about this earlier. I definitely had a crush on her when I was a kid. So, yeah, one of my favorite episodes. It's a lot of fun. Good Raph solo story. One that actually had to fight for its spot into the top 10, which before I did this, I thought it was for sure going to be somewhere in the mid-pack of my top 10 before I actually started writing it out. Oh, wow. My number 10, this episode actually has a lot of problems, which I'll get into in a bit. But my number 10 episode is Leatherhead, the Terror of the Swamp, or Leatherhead, Terror of the Swamp, I guess. <laughs> you know, I don't know what it is. So you have Invasion of the Punk Frogs in, you know, season two. And that's a great episode. You know, you got Shredder in like his Miami Vice suit, like down in uh, Florida, and he makes the, the frogs and all. But there's something about you, you revisit the frogs, you go back to Florida, but now you add Leatherhead. who's like, he's like one of my favorite mutants. And uh, he's always just been an awesome villain. There's just something about that episode that's so memorable to me. And I, I just remember the first time I saw that as a kid. Like, Leatherhead's one of the first, like, genuinely intimidating, like, recurring villains they have in the show. You know, he's a lot goofier when you grow up. And you, he's like, Bob Gumbo and all this stuff. You're like, okay. <laughs> he's but very like, sticky for sure. Like, <laughs> really leaned into that. I guarantee but I, I look, you know, when you see him, he kicks the crap out of the frogs. Like they all use their weapons. He just grabs them and swings them around right. and he makes them his slaves and stuff. Like no one can stop Leatherhead. Yeah. He's very and, OP uh, at first for sure. Yeah. So like for, for that reason, I love it. But then when you get into it, it's like you, you don't have Pat Furley as Crane in that episode. You have that stupid, like imitation Crane voice. Yep. You don't have a, what's the voice actor for Donatello and Bebop. Uh, what's his name? Oh, I always forget his. I can't think of his name, but you don't have him. So you have this horrible Donatello voice and you have this horrible Bebop. There's a weird glitch in that episode where Bebop's shades, like the, the lenses aren't black. They're purple, like the rest of his glasses. And it's cons consistent throughout the whole episode, but not like that in any other episode. And hmm. it, it's just loaded with errors. There's like, you know, scenes where there's like two Leonardo's and stuff and like, like Raph's voice comes out of Donatello. It's it's loaded with all the usual problems. But for some reason, I just love that episode. <laughs> what it is, it's such a good episode. Uh, it's just such a memorable one. Uh, even when Leatherhead's introduced as like just a gator, he's like bigger than a boat. He's like humongous at the beginning. Right. And I always found it weird. It's kind of implied he murders the dude at the beginning. So it, it starts off where there's like a father and his son. He's like hillbillies on this boat. And the, the son's like, what are we doing out here, Paul? Let's go home. He's like, I want to hunt down Leatherhead finally. Yep. And then, like, you know, Leatherhead crashes the boat, and it shows them get away. And then Leatherhead mutates into, uh, you know, mutant. But then the next time we see him, he's wearing the father's clothes. Right. Like, the exact same <laughs> outfit. So I was like, oh, shit, he murdered that, dude. Like, I mean, he just been, like the beginning of Terminator 2 where he just beats him up and takes <laughs> his stuff. Yeah, he just straight up ate that kid's dad and just like took his clothes. So, yeah, Leatherhead doesn't mess around. So for that, I don't know. Leatherhead just he just seemed so badass in that episode. And even though I love the New York setting and the Manhattan setting and everything, the sewers and Channel Six and all that, it was always a little special when you got an episode here or there, kind of like Raphael meets his match, where you get a new setting that's like different than the usual. So when anytime they went to Florida, which was only like two or three times in the series. It was always a little cool. It was like, oh, nice. We got a, a new setting in the episode, which again, like you said, how the, the setup to Raphael meets his match is so dumb. The setup to Leatherhead's episode is dumb too. We're like, 
the turtles are going through a photo album right and they're like hey remember those frog guys and then immediately the frogs call yeah them. i wonder if they're gonna show back up here <laughs> and then it just so happens that april and irma are vacationing in like miami so they can go down and stay with them but then they didn't have anything for irma to do so they just ride around immediately she, immediately she's like oh i don't want to deal with this and she just runs away and goes back home it's like <laughs> It's really not a good episode, but I don't know. For some reason, I I got so excited seeing Leatherhead show up as a kid that it's just always had an impact on me, you know, my whole life. Yeah. So. All the first appearance episodes stand out really strong yeah. for episodes that I didn't even see a lot as a kid because, again, some of these characters, Leatherhead was one that was actually more reoccurring than others as well, but yeah. you know, like Muckman and Joe Ibot, was he only in one episode? And I still remember that episode really well. <laughs> yeah, Muckman and Joe Ibot, I'll never forget about that episode. The main thing that sticks out to me is that's the only time I think like a, a, a male character is making advances towards Irma and she's not into him because uh, Joe, <laughs> Joe eyeballs into Irma. So. <laughs> but, uh, you know, Irma, she flirted with Rat King. She's flirted with the Turtles. She's flirted with Rex One. She dated Rex One. So, yeah. Right. <laughs> so, anyway, that's my number 10. <laughs> All right. So moving on to my number nine. And so this was one that was just hard because I didn't know which Leonardo episode I even wanted, but I feel like this one came down to my favorite one. So it's Leonardo versus Tempestra. And there's a lot of reasons I like this episode. One, I like that they go to an arcade after hours and just with a stack of pizzas. Like I remember seeing that when I was a kid and I was like, dude, that would be so cool to spend the night in an arcade and eat pizza all night. I love that part of it. And I, for whatever reason, I feel like this is one of those episodes that had a way bigger budget because with the fight yeah. with all the monsters at the end, like that's some of the best animation in any of the later seasons. Like all of those fights look really cool. And I feel like it's one of the first times in a long time where the turtles got to be in a fight where they didn't seem really stupid. Like they actually put on a cool fight. They did cool things. I mean, kind of cheesy things to kill all the monsters, but it was I don't know, much more like fun and exciting and adventurous than a lot of the episodes and all the slapsticky stuff that was going on at the time. Like it just really stands out is a good action episode, especially for that era. Yeah, definitely. That's definitely a memorable one. I knew you were going to have it on yours. Yeah. I talk <laughs> about it a lot. So yeah, you could probably guess a lot of mine. So. <laughs> but uh, it was, you're right though. I didn't really ever think about that. The fights were way more serious in that episode than they were in uh you know, like most of the, by that point in the show, usually the fighting was like, you know, just barely even existed. And when it was, there was just goofy. So, yeah. So that's always one of my favorites. I think Tempesta is a really good villain too. She's very just, I don't know. She's one of those people that's just kind of evil for the sake of evil. Like she doesn't really want anything except destruction. And I really like villains like that too. that don't even yeah. really need much more motivation than they're just, I love evil. Yeah. well that would be the scariest villain because there's no reasoning with that yeah exactly so, <laughs> like i mean so very the most popular betrayal of any villain of all time the joker from the batner the um from dark knight and yeah that's exactly how that joker was was just evil for the sake of evil he wasn't motivated by money he just wanted to fuck shit up yeah it was chaos yeah <laughs> yeah exactly i always thought it was weird though because uh leo's obsessed with the game but he's just like drawing Tempestra's face and like writing her name. It's like, is he, does he have a crush on this character? Right. <laughs> That's what it seemed like. But I thought it was kind of cool too, where you got like Leo's, you got like a new glimpse into Leo's leader persona and that like 
he's obsessed with being the best like kind of like that's like one of the few times we see that where like leo's obsessed with being the best and it's also really funny how it says like they he beat every video game in there more than once and then all of a sudden there's just this new mystery game that they didn't discover until that night <laughs> yeah. yeah it's definitely an awesome episode i don't uh, it doesn't make it on my list but <laughs> it i figured awesome. since you had a rebuttal on that one it wasn't so yeah yeah, yeah, yeah. that's my number nine pick all right my number nine pick uh an episode you may or may not know it's called Raphael meets his match <laughs> okay i figured that would have been a little bit higher on your list honestly Honestly, at first, I didn't think it was going to make it on the list. Um, really? Yeah, at first, because there's so many good episodes. But that's then, as I was... to me. That, that's the one episode I knew for sure I would have <laughs> bet money on that was going to be in your top 10. That's the only one that I thought was a hard for sure. When I first thought up my top 10, I thought Leatherhead would come before Raphael meets his match, actually. Because Raphael meets his match, I was thinking like of it on terms of like, okay, as an actual episode of a tv show it's not as well written or anything as earlier one so i was marking it lower but then i was looking through it i'm like but it has so much personal like attachment for me yeah. like th- this episode as i've said in like my turtle talk videos and stuff is like it's like my white whale so it's like i'll tell the story again real quick out of a bridged version where you know i was a little kid and you know afternoon we'd be watching ninja turtle reruns on usa or whatever network was showing up i think it was beetlejuice and then they'd show ninja turtles this episode came on i'd never seen it before and uh mona lisa came on and i was like oh my god who's this <laughs> i was like just in awe i loved her and then uh my mom that calls like kids it's dinner and i'm like oh shit no no not now not now like um i'm you know, I just saw the, the hottest lizard I've ever seen in my life. <laughs> so then uh, at some point, she's like, Brent, just get up here. Cause I'm like, oh, I'm reading a book. I'm putting the books away or something. I'm like making something up. So I run upstairs. I like drink my dinner practically. Like I eat it so fast. <laughs> and I race downstairs and I turn on the TV and it's a Fred Wolf production just written uh... on the screen. Off. I'm like, no. And I always thought like, I'll see it again. I'll see it again. Cause you know, I saw some episodes like, you know, mutagen monster with the big bull. I saw it like a thousand times right. when I was a kid and stuff. And it's like, I just thought, okay, I'll come on again. It, I never saw it again. I never caught that episode again. Uh, there came a point where I thought I made it up in my head. And then I saw the VHS tape in the store and I'm like, oh shit, that's the, it was real. It was actually real. And I saw the, the toy of her on the back of uh, Half Court. I'm like, oh, she was real. And uh, so for me, actually watching that episode when I got the DVDs as an adult was like, like ending a chapter in my life (laughs) so for me it's just always been that like unobtainable episode well not always but you know for the first like 20 years of my life it was that unobtainable episode it had to be on there for that you know it is funny i do like uh when mona lisa's giving her backstory and uh raf's like oh this is gonna be a flashback there's gonna be like a crossfade transition or something and then it starts going like ah see it's a fast flashback i called it and all this so like there's some good jokes in there it's not like the the funniest writing of the show but you know there's some good ones in there and uh yeah it's just an awesome episode it's a fun episode so yeah sure moving on to my number eight so this is another one that i thought was actually gonna rank a little bit higher but it's season two episode 10 new york shiniest oh wow that low yep And, and again out of all the episodes Eight isn't really that low, but like I said, I just this is another episode that I've talked about a ton on here. Like I really like Rex One; he's one of my favorite side characters of all time. And the one thing that I want to get off 
get out right off the bat is he is the deck of figure is definitely too big for sure. There's only like <laughs> one scene where he's holding up Donatello and Leonardo's down by his legs where he's really, really big. Other than that, he's really April almost comes up to his shoulders most yeah. of the time. So the neck of figure is definitely just too big, but that's not really what we're talking about here. We're talking about the episode <laughs> and I love this episode. I love Rex one. I, I don't know why I just, he wasn't too slapstick slap sticky for me at the time, but he was still like silly. Like the first thing when April tells, tells him to hold his tongue and he sticks it out and he grips it. Like, why does that <laughs> robot have a tongue? You know what I mean? Like it's so ridiculous. And again, the neck of figure added that, which is a cool little touch, but it's just a cool episode. It's cool when all the evil Rexes show up and there's just an army of them. And I really hope, again, back to NECA, that we do get those because the black and red color scheme, I just really do like on those guys. Yeah. They look really sweet. But it's just a really fun episode. It's really... So I think I can't, I think Big Mac's a little bit after that. So they're definitely yeah. throwing a lot of robots at you and stuff. But this is definitely my favorite robot episode for sure. Yeah, cool. Yeah, There were a lot of robot episodes, actually. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, that's an awesome episode. Is it coming up on your list too? It might be. Okay, gotcha. <laughs> uh, my number eight, uh, it sounds like I have a real Leatherhead bias, I guess. Leatherhead meets the Rat King is uh, my number eight. That's from season three. Uh, I, I'm not as professional as you. I didn't take down the episode numbers. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, this this one stands out to me, not only because it has some memorable, funny moments and stuff, but uh, like, again, Irma, like kind of, settling for rat king she's like lots with rat king's like i hey, know maybe i could do this <laughs> but uh it's just the fact that this was the first time we got like these one-off because these were both one-off characters at this point like we had enter the rat king and leatherhead terror of the swamp and we had never really had them cross over and team up and like fight each other before and stuff so it's like we had you know you saw bebop and rocksteady with shredder and sometimes baxter like a bunch of times already but we never really got this where like it's like a it's like a mashup it's almost like akin to like frankenstein meets the wolfman like the monster mashes and stuff or like king kong versus godzilla it's like now we got leatherhead and rat king and at first they're fighting and it's kind of cool to see how even though leatherhead's this big you know massive gator like rat king actually gets the better of him at first and gets him in like the collar thing and all but then they end up like teaming up by the end of the episode but and it's not like, you know, the, the greatest work of art ever or anything, but just the fact that you got to see these two villains team up, it kind of almost told you, like, these are going to be, like, recurring bad guys. These are going to be, like, a big deal for the Turtles, like, down the road. And uh, it just felt like a special event, for, I think, for me as, as a kid at the time, because it's like, again, I've never seen that. You kind of just see, like, oh, there's the episode with Leatherhead, he's done. Oh, there's the episode with Rat King, he's done. Like, you just kind of think, like, okay, they did that toy on to the next one. But now, like, no, they're going to team up now. You're going to see your favorite action figures, like, team up. And I thought that was just awesome, so. Yeah, and it's weird that you mentioned that because that's something I thought because one of my favorite episodes that's going to be coming down the list later is another one where you get two villains crossing over that it's weird to see together at the same time because you're right. There was, like, the norms of Shredder and Bebop and Rocksteady because they're, I mean, in the same, like, clan essentially as terrible word i don't know what word i want to use here well, yeah they're essentially together all the time and then baxter is another one that's like really familiar to them as well like baxter can work by himself but he's almost always in shredder episodes for the most part even in fly yeah. baxter form there's typically the shredder involved in one way or another because 
that, that's another cool dynamic is how all the villains even though yeah we'll get to that later when i do that but it's cool <laughs> to see the rat king and leatherhead together because like you said at first they're kind of fighting each other but then they realize that the enemy of their enemy or no sorry the enemy of my enemy or the enemy of yeah, the enemy of my enemy is, is my friend type of situation. Yeah. It's kind of like the bond they make. I, I just always thought that was cool. I always thought it was cool to see that. I something I wish they did a little more often. Like, you know, I would have liked to see, I don't know, something crazy. Like, I guess they did do like Night of the Rogues eventually. Yeah, which was almost it. like overkill though. Cause they yeah. tried giving everybody in there instead of just seeing like, Hey, how can these two characters <laughs> meld together? Because I feel like Leather King and Rathead are pretty good. I mean, they're almost not even foils. They are just like a good tag team almost. Yeah, they are. I, I love you just called them Leather King and Rathead. Oh, well. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but uh, yeah, they're good. They're a good duo. I actually wish they, they teamed up more often, actually. Uh, I always thought it would have been cool to have Leatherhead, Rat King, and Baxter all team up because they're kind of like the most recurring villains that yep. aren't the main villains. But uh, unfortunately we never got that and also i mean fly baxter he's basically always being manipulated anytime he does show up like you said by shredder usually so uh like he'll come back wanting to kill shredder then in two seconds shredder's like oh no it's not me you hate it's the turtles he's right like, yeah, uh, he's okay you know? stupid schemes yeah for a genius he's not very smart you know what i mean i i feel like baxter's one of the only ones not to get too off topic they, they actually always did that where his genius human side is fighting with the stupid fly side all the time yeah. Where, like, he's coming up with a scheme, then he gets distracted by sugar, and he just wants to go lick sugar. Right. <laughs> like, like they did a good job of making it, like, it's almost kind of sad. It's like this poor, crazy guy who ended up in a mental institution and stuff is now, like, his brain is rotting into a human, into a fly brain. And it's, like, it's kind of sad, actually, when you think yeah, about it. Yeah, I mean, he's, I'd say he's the most tragic character of the original animated series, for sure. Yeah, he ends up, like, floating in limbo for most of his life. And it's like... Yeah. Things don't work out well for him. All right, so on to episode yes. seven. So this one fell about where I thought it was going to. Super Bebop and Mighty Rocksteady. Another so robot episode. This episode it has a lot of fun plot threads. So it's not. It's I feel like Bebop or Super Bebop and Mighty Rocksteady or Mighty Bebop and Super Rocksteady. Nobody it has it straight. Right. Even in the cartoon episode itself, it's not straight. <laughs> And I feel like they don't even show up till later. The, the most memorable parts for me, honestly, are all the other crap that's going on. So Bebop and Rocksteady are trying to stick that mesmerizer at the top of the tower. They they kind of get sidelined when Super Bebop and Mighty Rocksteady or go out. And a lot of this happens at Channel Six. There's a lot a lot of the fighting happens in the lobby, and you get some funny stuff with the Channel Six crew. So I don't know why. I always liked it when they think they're kids. Like that part is just very, very, very entertaining to me. Even in the rewatch, like that part never gets old. I really like all the shtick that goes in with the mesmerizer. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. There's definitely like a lot of, that's something that's actually always a little jarring. When I go back and watch episodes of this show is like, Oh yeah, I forgot all these subplots happened yeah. in this one episode or I didn't even mention it in leatherhead terror of the swamp. There's like, the fact that there's mutagen in the the water mutants it powers them up like like i think mike and don get like powered up and then shredder turns into like a baby when he talks like humans get like de-aged in it so it's yeah. really weird there's always these weird little subplots going on that, like you already have a giant alligator you don't need the baby thing also but right and it's funny because i feel like some episodes are like super lacking but the Mighty Super Bebop and Mighty Rocksteady is the one to where I feel like it does just have two very super strong 
plot points in it that I remember very yeah. well. That it's almost like they could have been their own episodes, but they come together to make this really good episode for me. <laughs> yeah, it's definitely a good one. I think if you do have uh, Attack of Big Mac and Mighty uh, Making of Metalhead on here, I think you have a robot bias. But... I don't actually have either of those on there. So yeah, so I just, <laughs> these are my two favorite robot episodes for sure. There were some good robot episodes. My, Making a Metalhead was a good one, too. It's not on my list, but that was a good one. Uh, my number seven, I thought this one was going to be lower on the list, actually, but it's just, it's has such a strong sentimental value for me, is Sky Turtles. It's like such a filler episode, but it was the only episode I owned on VHS uh, officially as a kid. I, I got it at Burger King. Um, and I don't think I even got the Burger King, because we didn't eat fast food a lot. My dad liked fast food. My mom was against it. Um, so we rarely had it. And if we did, it was usually a McDonald's because that was like right yeah. up the road. Uh, so like we rarely did Burger King. But I think this was this was before we moved. So we didn't live down the street from the McDonald's yet. So maybe. But I think my dad just picked up Burger King on the way home from work or like a, a business trip or something. And then like said, hey, can you give me one of those Turtles movies while you're at it? Because uh, I think if there was four of us kids, we would have got all four of the VHS tapes if yeah. that was the case, probably. So um. But yeah, I always had this this tape and I watched the hell out of it. It's it's the definition of a filler episode, <laughs> like I'm aware. But I don't know. I just love that episode. It's such a like just a weird idea. It's just so Crane just decides he's going to build like an anti-gravity machine. And for just for the hell of it, he just builds it. And then Shredder just starts screwing with it. Like, I want to I want to do this. This is, this is my plan. And like. Crane's not even stopping him. He's just like, don't do that. I want to use it and all this stuff. And it's like, don't push it too hard and stuff. And Shredder ends up screwing it up and all, but whatever. It's just like, it, it's it's the best episode to just display the stupid logic that you have to have to enjoy this cartoon. That even though there's anti-gravity going on where everything's floating up, there are boots that you can just slip onto your feet and you can just walk around in the anti-gravity and you're not, you're not affected. Your hair is not sticking up or anything. It's like, so like Bebop and Rocksteady and magically conveniently Bebop, Rocksteady and two foot soldiers go to the surface uh, with these boots so that all four turtles can get them. Um, and th there's this whole thing where they use like a satellite dish to re to reverse like the the waves and like over blow it and destroy it and like they like Donatello was explaining it like it makes sense it's like that makes no freaking sense dude but like I didn't care as a kid I just loved that episode and there's just like lines that are throwaway nothing filler lines that just stuck in my head like there's a point where Michelangelo just goes like oh I sure hope this works and anytime someone says I hope this works I well, hear like, that. Yeah, <laughs> we yeah. mix them both yep. shoot each other. And anytime I hear someone say, I hope this works, I hear Michelangelo in my head to this day. I've always heard that. Like, I can't hear that expression without hearing that line because I saw it so many times. And uh, there's some funny jokes, like when the, the Channel 6 news team starts, they start floating around and Vernon's like, you know, shit talking, like uh, burn and all. And then burn like floats out into the room while he's shit talking him in his chair and stuff. And there's a joke later on where, you know, Donatello first sees the, the, the satellite dish. He's like, oh, look at that tremendous dish. And Irma's like, oh, thank you, Donatello. Yeah. <laughs> and he's like, uh, no, Irma, that's not what I'm saying. Like, But uh, yeah, it's a funny episode. But I, I, I know it's not a special episode for any, anyone really. But for me, it is because I didn't own the, the VHS tapes a lot. I caught it on TV 
which is like the opposite of you. And I, you know, I had a couple recorded. I had like a Mondo Gecko's episode recorded and that got recorded over probably in like a month from like one of my sisters or something. But yeah, this was the only one I just owned and I could, I just watched it over and over again. So this was my first episode out of my top 10 and it's one that I thought was going to be in there. So I actually started <laughs> taking notes on this episode. It is. So I, again, it's one I had on VHS because of the Burger King VHS and I loved this episode. Like This one really pained me to leave off my top 10. Like it was my, it's my hard 11 for sure. And it is ridiculous. Like you said, so not only do they make an anti-gravity machine, but for whatever reason, once gravity goes away, why do the buildings just fall off their foundations? Like the integrity of the building would still be holding them there. And then when everything falls back down, it falls right back into place. And everything's fine. You can just go back yeah. to the building. No building code violations for anything. Which is great too, because you see the buildings like diagonally floating across. Yeah, they're all over the place. That's how they fall right back down. None of them topple over. There's like it's like they cemented themselves back together. And, it's like... and they're holding that giant dish from the glider. Yeah. And what it's only this small area that the dish is returning as opposed to all these waves. And the thing that drives me the most nuts though is how three of them wear four boots and they have two feet in those middle oh, that's boots. Right. That, drove me nuts as a kid i'm like you cannot fit two feet in one shoe that's impossible the show is stupid but i still love that episode yeah there was definitely some weird stuff in there there was a i always you know what always stuck out to me not to get too you know sidetracked with sky turtles which i call the filler episode um but you see i think it's one of the only times you see rocksteady's feet in that episode yep. and he has and, like the pointy toenails yeah and... he has like claws he has yeah. like You'd expect like a cat mutant to have like feet like that or work from Lord of the Rings. Like I thought he would have like human feet or rhino feet. Like no, he has like this weird human claw like thing going on. But yeah, glad you brought up that episode. Glad I got to talk about that one. Uh, Okay, good. (laughs) My number six, season three, episode twenty six, Pizza by the Shred. Oh, that's in my uh, my honorable mentions. (laughs) Okay, yeah. So this one, I got a lot of notes on this one because there's a lot. So. One of the first things, and I remembered this when I was watching another episode that's going to appear on my list, probably to a lot of people's surprise. The first thing that it starts off with is when they're working on the Star Cruiser. And the one they're working on is red, but the one that gets left there is blue. They take the red one back with them. So it's weird that the red one's there in this video. Even as a kid, I remember that being weird in the continuity. And it's also weird that it's three seasons later before they're even like oh yeah we have the star cruiser that we just decided not to do anything with until today so i always thought that was kind of a funny part of that episode but the thing that's my favorite part about this episode that we were talking about earlier and i'm going to kind of jump around a little bit is how you get the mashup of the rat king with shredder and it's the first time that i like kind of figured out that just because a bad guy is a bad guy like the enemy of my enemy isn't always my friend because they're kind of not really into each other. And I'm just like, Oh, so it kind of establishes rat King is more neutral than almost bad. Like, yeah, he steals the pizza, but he's not really a real bad guy in that episode. I feel like he's kind of just more like a neutral party. And the thing that I, I've, I've brought this up before when I've talked about it too, this episode is the biggest commercial they've ever done for sure. So in like a five minute scene where they're going to the sewer to find they're chasing that sardine on the pizza. Yeah. They have the foot ski, the 
what's the sewer tube called? The party tube? What is it? Yeah, party tube, I think. Yeah. Yep, the party tube. They have the plunger gun. They have the retro catapult all in that little scene, all super fast. Four toys that were probably out at the time that they just wanted to yeah. push into this episode. And even as I was a kid, I'm like, hmm, this is a lot of things in this episode that they never <laughs> use again, other than the retro catapult. And then the other really random thing about this episode, I'm kind of working my way back now, is when Michelangelo gets a job at this pizza place. He doesn't ever even go inside the building. Like, could you yeah. imagine if it was that easy to get a job? You didn't have to set foot inside your establishment. And like, okay, you're on the payroll now. Order these pizzas, but never come inside. Like, it's a I, ridiculous episode, but I love it so much. I, my takeaway there was just that, like, Michelangelo wouldn't know how a human job works anyway. So <laughs> he's like, okay, this is normal. Yeah, he probably just thinks that's normal. The thing is, like, why would Shredder assume that Michelangelo would, would be? Right. <laughs> but the thing that always got me about that episode was, like, how do they not know it's Shredder? Like, in the commercial, yeah. you see Shredder's hands. Hand, right? <laughs> Even as a like, kid, I'm like, it's so obvious it's Shredder. These guys are so stupid. Mike's, like, talking to him. Like, his eyes are, like, in the slit. You can hear the voice and stuff. It's like, how can Mike like, be that dumb? Like, come right. on. <laughs> The, the, the standout thing for me, because I'm actually glad you brought this up because, again, this was in my honorable mentions. So there's a part where Mike gets, like, locked in the pizza freezer. I remember because my oldest sister, Sarah, she always she would always call back to that. I remember being at the dinner table once and she mentioned, like, she was talking about how horrible a death it would be to be locked in a freezer. And I'm like, huh, I guess I never thought about that before. And uh, <laughs> she says, like, you remember, like, in that episode of Ninja Turtles? <laughs> she mentioned that. And it's like... Then when you think about it, it's like, yeah, if they didn't save, that would have been fucking horrifying. Like, right. frozen to death. Like, so I kind of like, I remember as a kid that always kind of like, oh, it kind of bothers me, actually. It's kind of creepy. <laughs> That's a great episode. That one was like, I was fighting with, see, when I first wrote my top 10, that was in it. But then I decided when I was looking through it, like, you know, Raphael meets his match, deserves to be on here more than Pizza by the Shred and stuff. Yeah. So, um, So my number six is Return of the Shredder which is the Crooked Ninja Turtle Gang episode. Um, <clears throat> it's the first episode of season two. It kind of kicks off like how the show is going to play out for the next season or two. It sets the the stage really well. It, it almost works as a first episode. Like if you didn't see the first season, I think Return of the Shredder almost works as a first episode. Just if you know like, okay, the turtles fight Shredder and Krang and those are the bad guys and stuff. You could kind of start here. But I, I, not that you should. I recommend watching the first season. Definitely okay. the best stuff. But it, it is kind of like a, like a good starting off point. You have like the turtles in the grocery store, like Leo and Mike are like in the grocery store. And like, they're so nice. They're such good citizens and stuff. And then when the Crooked Ninja Turtle gang goes in there later on, she's like, oh, I thought those Ninja Turtles were such nice boys or whatever. <laughs> she can't tell the difference. <laughs> yeah. It was just it's literally guys with paper bags on their heads. And then, like, Smash doesn't even have the paper bag. He's just wearing a headband. Yeah. And, uh, like, she's like, you can't tell the difference. Yeah, I don't know. It's just, like, like that fight scene at the beginning, it's, you know, it's simple. But the fighting in the episode is pretty cool. It's a pretty good, uh, it's pretty good for, like, post-season one fighting. Yeah. And uh, I, I just like the, the whole idea of Shredder kind of just making his, like, okay, I'm just going to make a new Foot Clan, basically. Like, you're not... 
Because Krang's being a dick. Krang's like, you can't have Bebop and Rocksteady. You can't have the foot soldiers. You can't have the rock soldiers. I'm just sending you to Earth and you get, you can go fuck yourself. And right. like, until you kill the turtles, I don't want to hear about you. It's like, well, he'd kill the turtles a lot easier if you sent them all that other shit. Which is kind of weird. I guess that's kind of where they set up in the show that like Krang is above Shredder, which always kind of bothered me. I always like Shredder being the main, main bad guy. I, they're kind of equals, I guess. But... Yeah, it's just a memorable episode. It's a lot of fun. I think it's a shame that, like, in the beat-em-up games, you've never had, like, Crooked Ninja Turtle guys just be, like, grunts that you could beat up, like, stage enemies and stuff. And uh, I think it's honestly one that stuck with a lot of people because, I mean, we got a Crooked Ninja Turtle gang Nekatoy and a Smash Nekatoy, and everyone seems to remember that episode because, you know, it was so early. And I I do have to say, for season one and season two, like, uh, I think I've said this before, I didn't see them immediately. Like, uh, when I started watching the show, it was in 89, and that's when season three was airing. So one of my earliest memories of the show is watching the making of Metalhead. Early in the morning, I remember watching the Metalhead episode, and, like, I had the Metalhead toy, and I remember just, like, thinking, like, oh, this is so cool. That was my first time, like, having the toy and seeing the show. But that was those were, like, my earliest memories was seeing, like, the Usagi Ojimbo episode and stuff. Whereas, like... Very shortly after that, like, I think it was still that same year, but I started catching the reruns of, like, season one and season two and stuff. But those weren't my first episodes. So I guess it's just a testament to how good they are, is that when I actually did see those episodes, they just, like, I was like, okay, these are the best episodes. (laughs) uh, That one just, it's just a solid start for a season, in my opinion. Yeah, because that's one that sticks out a lot to me that I didn't have on VHS because for whatever reason, I don't know, the, the Crooked Ninja Turtle gang, like, they're just very memorable goons. Like you said, it's yeah. very surprising. We've never got another iteration of them until the NECA figures came out. And it's honestly surprising that they waited as long to do them as they did. Because it seems like that would have kind of been, like, one of the more deep cuts that they'd want to get out early. Because I think they're some of my favorite NECA figures, too. I don't know what it is, but just they're so stupid but i don't know it just works for turtles like they just have a stupid bag over their head like it's ridiculous but they just they're a very fun looking gang for sure yeah definitely breaking into our top fives here so this one is very in the spirit of pizza by the shred season three episode 18 cowabunga shredhead this is another (laughs) one we've talked about on here before and it's an absolute ridiculous episode but it is so much fun i think it's james avery's best performance in the entire series for him to be doing his michelangelo or his shredder doing an impression of michelangelo like it's just such a fun character it's so ridiculous and we talked about this before too there's something it's one of those episodes where it's like they got an outside animation studio to work on it it was just like a step above and it has just that kind of like liquidy fluidity feel to it when the characters move thing that they're doing in the beginning they're trying to just make a hologram of michelangelo and then that machine starts going haywire but why does all of michelangelo's memories and knowledge get put into his brain when all they had was just a visual hologram of michelangelo like it really makes no sense and i never even thought about it until i started thinking about this episode deeply you know what it is is i think like all of the the personality replication of michelangelo was on the disc and they were supposed to put it in to give the the, the mike hologram the personality but bebop put it in backwards and jammed it and and screwed it up yeah that's so what I, think, I, messed up. 
I think that's what was supposed to be happening. But then later on in the episode, it's like, oh, well, the disc actually had like a hologram of the president on the president, it. Yeah. <laughs> and is it Reagan or Bush? I can't tell who it is in I that one tell. either. It doesn't, it looks kind of like both of them. Honestly. Yeah. It's one of my favorite episodes. Yeah. Not really a lot that goes on there, but it's just cool seeing Shredder just roll into the turtle lair and everyone's like the fuck is this guy doing here and he's just acting like nothing's nothing's the matter like it's just a very fun episode excellent performance by james avery super fun one of my favorites for sure yeah that's a great one uh my number five is shredderville from season three uh this is like the homage to it's a wonderful life where uh the turtles are all saying like you know i think the world would be better if we never existed because you know you wouldn't have all these mutants around and the foot clan wouldn't be trying to stop us and hurting people. So they, it, the whole episode is just a dream spoiler, but uh, the turtles somehow share a dream. All four of them have the same dream and it's technically the first red sky episode because the skies are all red through the whole episode. They wake up in a world, they wake up in the middle of the sewers. There's no lair and they, they go to the surface and everything's dirty and destroyed. And like, there's just crime everywhere and uh, the sky is all red and polluted and the technodrome is like rotting away and all this stuff. And it turns out that without the turtles, they couldn't initially stop Shredder. So Shredder took over the world. And unfortunately, speaking of James Avery, there is no James Avery in this episode. It's the other guy voicing Shredder. Yeah. Um, but because that's what they say earlier on, like, oh, on that loudspeaker, that voice sounds like Shredder. I'm like, no, hell, hell no, it doesn't. It doesn't sound like Shredder. <laughs> he's barely in the episode and he is funny when he's in the episode. Yeah. So they, they just go through the, you know, the this, this hypothetical world where they don't exist and some wild stuff happens. Like Channel 6 News Building becomes Shredder's headquarters. Bebop and Rocksteady, they're never mutated. They're still humans. But they took over like the whole main news floor. And they turn it into a harem and they make like, like April and Irma are dressed up like, you know, like harem girls. <laughs> like they'll dress up like Princess Jasmine and like I Dream of Genie or something. And like they work for Bebop and Rocksteady. And I always found it so weird. There's one line where Irma says like, I wish Bebop would learn to peel his own grapes. Like who the hell peels grapes? What the fuck does that mean? But, uh, <laughs> Well, maybe he's allergic to the skin. I don't know, but yeah, you just you, they they run into so many different characters. Uh, they run into like Zach the Fifth Turtle. They actually end up winning him over again, and eventually they win over April and uh, uh, Irma. And Vernon and Burn are like villains in the episode and stuff. And like Krang is kind of he's he's their villain, but he's not really because like his Technodrome is just rotting away because like Shredder's just wasting all the power. So like. It's about to like like explode. Like the fact that about to explode, and Crane doesn't have a new body because Shredder built his new body for him to stop the turtles. And like he just has the rock soldiers just being the security guards of like the uh, the Technodrome. And uh, it, it's funny how they're able to just like fool you know General Trag. And like, he's like, "Oh, you can't come in here." They're like, "Oh, we we're here to repair." He's like, "Have you looked around? Like everything needs repairing." And they're I forget what they say. They say something. He's like, oh, well, if you mean that, then go on in. You just let them in. And yeah, it's just, there's a lot of funny stuff in the episode. I think it's like pretty clever. Just a lot of the jokes are really good. And then when they finally, you know, get to, to Shredder at the end, he's like, he he's just wearing a business suit and he's still wearing the helmet and the mask and stuff. But like, he's just wearing a business suit. And earlier on, they make him watch a video with like him when he's a baby and he's still wearing the mask. And then as a kid at school, <laughs> he's still wearing the mask and he's like bullying kids. 
And it's like he doesn't even want to be leader anymore because like he's he like the ruling the world sucks because you have like all this responsibility and powers running out and stuff. And he's like, he's like a war- like you guys come from a world where like I don't rule it. That sounds amazing and all this stuff. And like <laughs> it's just I don't know. It's a really fun like what if kind of episode. And uh, it's one I actually don't remember from when I was a kid. It was actually when I rewatched the show for the first time, like in my twenties. I remember seeing it and being like, oh, this is actually a really funny, clever episode. So uh, it's weird. It made it so high without having any childhood like connection. I'm sure I saw it as a kid, but um, I had never even seen It's a Wonderful Life when I was that young. So, <laughs> so yeah, I, I just like it. I think it's a fun episode. So you know what it reminds me of even more of It's a Wonderful Life is Back to the Future 2. Yeah, it's a lot like that. That's <laughs> what it kind of feels like when they go back and Biff uses the almanac to like become a billionaire or whatever that's kind of what it feels like is like that like post-apocalyptic type feeling where you just have like one lord that's running everything like that's the vibe i feel yeah because biff tannen even he was at the top of the high rise in in the city and everything and at least there's no weird kind of biff Lorraine uh, situation going on with you know Shredder in April or anything, so. right? <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, I, I just think it's a fun episode. That one's like uh, that one just ranks high for me, just for being like sheerly just like a really fun, well written, cool episode. Moving on to number four, and this is where stuff really started to get tough for me. So, hot rotting teenagers from Dimension X, and I know a lot of people hate the neutrinos, but. I always liked them, and I just think this is a really good episode. So the first season, like the, like we've talked about this before, there's just something more to it. They had more for the budget, more for the animation, and it has some of the coolest scenes ever. So I know James Rolfe talked about this scene in particular when he did his review, but when they're in the arcade and those missiles come in and it just does that pan shot where it's like going through the arcade before it blows it up like yeah. that's just such a cool shot even as like i was when i was a kid i was like man that was like really cool animation and just all the lasers and stuff when they're fighting with like the neutrinos and the stone warriors they're called stone warriors in this episode i don't know when they get to switch <laughs> to rock soldiers but like yeah. just i don't know the laser animations look really cool they use the techno rover which is the only time they ever break that out and it's just cool that they use that vehicle that never gets used again and i'm surprised they never made a toy out of that either again so this is another one of those things where it kind of has like not a huge other storyline but like when they set off the weather device that's just another part that i always really liked like i feel like the animation is really cool right there too and all the stuff that happens to it and how leonardo just jumps right out of the star cruiser to slash it like i just i don't know that whole scene's really cool but one thing that's just so stupid about this episode is when they're back fighting them in the technodrome and they literally realize their weapons aren't going to work on Trag and Granitor, even though a couple episodes earlier, Michelangelo is using his nunchucks to destroy robots. But <laughs> Donatello is just like, hey, there's this giant barrel of silicone lubricant here and just dumps it on the floor. And then they just push him into the portal. Like, why is that barrel of silicone lubricant just sitting on this floor on the Technodrome? Like, it's like in the video games. So there's always the oil drum that explodes. Right, that explodes right there. Like, oh, we'll just put this here for no apparent reason. Like, Krang's getting setting up for his day. He's like, oh, I'm just going to set this drum of oil here and I'll come back to it later. Well, you know, I could see Bebop and Rocksteady leaving it there. Right. Like he, he told them to move it down to the basement or something. And they just left it there. They're like, yeah, whatever. This, yeah. yeah, that's a, a, the one of the things, a few things you touched on actually, I just want to say is you mentioned James Rolfe years ago when he was doing like, that's like from Cinemassacre, Angry Video Game Nerd, you know, 
Uh, he did a thing called Turtle Tuesdays, where every Tuesday he covered turtles. And if you haven't seen his retrospective on the original animated series, check it out. He did a really yeah, it's one of my favorites. I watched it a couple times yeah. actually. Oh, really? Yeah. I, uh, last time I watched it was probably like a year ago, but I, I rewatch it almost every year at some point. It's like he just does a really good thorough like, retrospective of it. Also, I th- my theory, the only reason I would guess they they changed the name to rock soldiers is i believe stone warriors is the name of the rock guys in masters of the universe so that might be why they changed it yeah but one thing that is so cool about that episode though is like you don't really get that much of general drag and lieutenant granator throughout the course of the series they're, they're built up but they're going to be like major villains like they're yeah. crane's number one underlings but like even like in the episodes talk about shredderville it's like Trag's there for like a couple jokes, but like he's not like the villain of the episode or anything. So yeah. I feel like that was like one of the only episodes. I know there's some later on in the, sh- in the show and all, but they do bring them back sometimes. But that was what, like one of the only episodes for a while that was like very heavily based around the Rock Soldiers. Yeah. So that's again another re- reason I really like it because it's back when the tone was a little bit more serious. So they are pretty like at that point, like Bebop and Rocksteady kind of got exposed as buffoons, but like they're badasses. Like the turtles are having trouble dealing with them and they have to get rid of them in this really slap sticky way because in an actual fight, they weren't really any match for them. Yeah. That's an, that's an awesome episode. Yeah. I know a lot of people don't like the neutrinos. I didn't like them when I was a kid, but I like them now. So uh... I even did. Like, I just remember the, when in the promo, the one line I always remember is, cool daddy oh we are frozen like i'll always that's just burned into my brain from that promo that just come on that's cool that's cool Uh, the the line that always sticks out to me it's like the one of the funniest like on the nose villain lines ever is uh when crane's talking about how much he hates the neutrinos he's like you know they have no respect for authority all this stuff and worst of all they love to have fun (laughs) he just hates that they have fun I think that might be the same episode where Shredder says it feels so good to be so bad. Or right. <laughs> but uh, they always had their cheese in there, even when they were taking it a little more seriously. But yeah. I'll do my number four. It'll be brief uh, because it's Cowabunga Shredhead, okay. <laughs> um, which we already talked about. And I don't have too much more to say about why I love it than what you said. I just think like James Avery knocks it out of the park. He's just hilarious in that episode. The whole episode even today, like even when I watch it today, I'm cracking up the whole episode when I'm Yeah, watching. it's one of the funniest episodes for sure, like without a doubt. <laughs> Just like the way he keeps switching back and forth too, because it's like when he hears the word Michelangelo, he becomes Michelangelo. Yep. When he hears the word Shredder, he becomes Shredder. So it's just so funny to hear him go from like, oh, you moronic mutants to like, whoa, dudes, wait up and stuff. Right? And like, it just cracks me up every time. Yeah, he just does. It's so weird because like he doesn't even question who Michelangelo is. He thinks he's Mike, but he's talking to Mike multiple times yeah. in the episode, and he doesn't even. And he's not him. like because he knows what he looks like too. Because when he sees the image on the computer, he knows that's him. So why doesn't he see Mike and be like, "Hey, this is me"? Like it makes no sense. <laughs> yeah. But one thing that's interesting that sh- that episode also reveals is that Bebop and Rocksteady don't even know who the hell the turtles are. They're like, hey, that looks like that surfer, the surfer dude. Yeah, <laughs> like they don't even know their names. Like, Bebop and Rocksteady are just taking orders. They don't give a shit about any of this. Like, <laughs> it kind of just reveals that, like, they're just going along for the ride. Like, right. the turtles know Bebop and Rocksteady, like everything about them. Bebop and Rocksteady are like, hey, these are those guys we have to fight all the time. <laughs> 
but yeah it's a great episode it's a ton of fun like you said the animation's like so bouncy and fluent and stuff and not in every scene but in a lot of them and uh yeah, yeah it's a great episode my number three season two episode six case of the killer pizzas so this is the episode with the pizza monsters i'm so glad we finally got pizza monster action figures i cannot believe this isn't one that playmates did i feel like these would have been so good for early playmates toys like they could have made them a little bit bigger and chunkier maybe not quite the size of the mega mutants but just made them a little bit bigger you know what i mean that would have been my favorite ones but i just love this episode from start to finish Rewatching this one like it just has I don't know, some of the strongest memories for me. So even right off the bat, when they're at that like bake-off or whatever they go to, April and Irma are talking about the guy that Irma just went out on the date with, the accordion player, and he shows off like just huge Italian stereotype guy. Like everything from there on is just so much fun. They win this contest. They win the pizzas, but they accidentally send a couple of them out. They go to these shitty ass kids and these kids are the biggest turds man the turtles show up there to try to get them and they're like no screw you guys these are our pizzas go get your own pizzas like not even impressed that the ninja turtles are in their house and another funny thing from this episode is it's so weird that these people just get fresh pizzas and just pop them in the microwave that's the first thing they do with these (laughs) brand new pizzas they get is everybody just pops them in the microwave and the whole box fits in a microwave like who has ever had a microwave big enough to fit a whole pizza box in super ridiculous and then from there just all the stuff that plays out in the sewer is just super fun it's cool i don't know why the pizza monsters get bigger when they go in the water like it almost seems like it's the food at first that makes them bigger but then they go in the water and they just get super big and turn into their final um xenomorph forms and another funny thing about that is when they're fighting them in the sewers they're proportioned pretty well most of the time but there's one scene where Raph is literally like the size of the calf of one of the pizza monsters and he kicks it in the ass and it falls over. And that's probably one of the biggest like size discrepancies that's ever been in the show. But other than that, not a lot of nitpicks. We got original Baxter Stockman in this one before he's mutated. He's hanging out with Shredder. So you got a lot of those, they have their dynamic going. Yeah, that one, uh, that's definitely like one that I think a lot of people just, clung to it was just an all-around good episode my my theory on why they grow i don't think it's necessarily the food or the water i think it's like in alien the first alien the alien keeps changing over like really quickly like it it comes out as like a little slug thing out of the guy's chest and then like 10 minutes later you see it it's this big black nightmare coming down from the ceiling so uh the xenomorph was just supposed to grow gradually and it was kind of kind of ridley scott's way of like being like, you never know what the monster is going to look like when it shows up next time. Yeah. So I think they were just emulating what happened in the movie that like, they grew really fast. So that's where I think that the, I don't think there was anything in particular that made them grow. I think the pizza monsters just grow quick like in the course of a day. They grow up basically. Yeah. I just thought it was weird that they just, they're in that baby stage and then they just get a little bit bigger. And then all of a sudden they just grow into this giant xenomorph, but they yeah, do again, and we're talking about the turtles here, not a lot of <laughs> yeah. rhyme or reason for the things that happen here. They do make it seem like it is the pizza that's making them grow at first. But uh, I remember that being weird, though, that they're just alien creatures from Dimension X. And like Crane just puts their eggs on the pizza. But like they're referred to as pizza monsters, even though like Turtles in Time, they're referred to as pizza monsters. And the, the episode's called Case of the Killer Pizzas. 
So, like, I always thought as a kid, like, are they part pizza? But, like, when watching it as an adult, it's like, oh, they're not. They're just aliens from Dimension X. But, like, it, 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 I remember because as a kid, I was thinking, like, they were, oh, they're red and yellow because they're, like, sauce and cheese and stuff. Like, I thought they were literally pizza monsters. <laughs> so that's the one cool thing from Shredder's Revenge is they are made <laughs> out of pizza and that. And I don't think we ever talked about that. We talked about that video game. But, yeah, that's I don't think we one did, of the yeah. little touches they put in that I really appreciated from that. That's what I always imagined, like, if they were to make, because I always thought the exact same thing you said, like, they should have had a Playmates toy back in the day of those guys. I always thought since they did the crazy sculpts, have, like, some areas where it's, like, melty cheese, there's, right. and then there's, like, some pepperonis on the side of their head or something, and, like, some mushrooms or, like, olives or something on them, like, right. they could do crazy, like, designs like that, but, uh, yeah, it's an awesome episode. All right, uh, my number three is uh, New York's Shiniest <laughs> with Rex right. One. Uh, Rex One, like you said, he's one of my favorite side characters. There's just something about him that's just, he's just funny. And like you said, like he is goofy. The whole tongue thing is funny and all. But there's also just always something inherently funny about a character who takes themselves so seriously. And like, he's he's this ridiculous character. He's this big robot cop. And uh, he's not like, you know, RoboCop, which is clearly what it's like a parody of. It's like RoboCop. He's just, he's like... He's dressed like, you know, like just a New York policeman, but like he's a giant robot and he's goofy as hell, but he thinks he's like super serious and stuff. And that just makes it even funnier. It makes you wonder like how aware he is, like how self-aware he is, because he is dating Irma at the end of the episode. So it's like, did he choose that or is she just taking advantage of the fact that he can't make decisions? So like, I don't know. It's just weird. Like. He seems like he has a bit of a personality, but yeah, I just always loved him. I was like, he was fun. Again, like the, the Crooked Ninja Turtle gang, like you said, the, the evil Rexes were always cool. The color scheme is just badass. Um, if NECA doesn't make that a figure, there that's just like a missed All opportunity. It's got to be on deck. It's an easy repaint for him. Yeah. So. Again, like I would love to see them show up in, as like a really like tough enemy in like the video games, like in the beat yep. em up. To have a bunch of Rexes, and I know the the vintage ones weren't a hundred percent based on the cartoon show, but like if they did a sequel to Shredder's Revenge or like a DLC pack, I would love to see Crooked Ninja Turtle Gang and Rex One guys show up, or I guess those wouldn't be Rex One, that would be like Rex Two, Three, Four, Five, and all that. But yeah, it's almost like RoboCop Two, where the original RoboCop fights RoboCop Two, which is like. He looks totally different, but you know, it's like here's the the evil version of you, and now you have to fight them and stuff. Right. So yeah, it's, it's, again, there's not too much to say that you didn't say, but I just think it's fun. Uh, speaking actually, there's of James Rolfe. He pointed out like an inconsistency that I never noticed in the episode until he pointed out. It's like, how did I never notice this? We're like, there's like crazy time paradoxes and like characters appearing in places in multiple places at once going on that I never noticed until he pointed it out. I'm like, oh shit, he's right. None of this makes sense. <laughs> but uh, but it's still a great episode. I don't know, like none of that bothers yeah, I don't me even remember him saying that. I don't remember. I'm going to have to double watch that one again <laughs> to try to figure that out. I, I don't think that was in his retrospective video. He did a video that was like top 10 turtle flubs. Okay. And it was like mess ups in the cartoon. And I think that's when he covers that one. You talked about Rex being like kind of self-aware and stuff like that. And I I, I almost feel like, because at first he's kind of programmed to protect April, right? Because I don't know yeah. if she's the first person that turns him on or whatever. And then maybe that's just gets switched over to Irma and maybe they do like reprogram a little bit. His character, like he's kind of almost like a precursor to the 
tick cartoon a little bit like when he first <laughs> jumps out of the building and he falls like waist deep into the concrete like that's yeah. very like it reminds me of the tick cartoon for sure <laughs> the other thing that i forgot to talk about when i was talking about it is when he gets all the other tapes put back in him to get his memory or whatever they tried doing with it and he has like the three stooges stuff in there i <laughs> love the three stooges as a kid so i just love that he did that as well yeah i love the stooges yeah it's funny that you're saying like i don't know why he's following irma because because April, uh, he turned turned her uh, him on. It's like, well, maybe Irma turned him on more. All right? Hey, yo, there you go. <laughs> yeah, but yeah, he's a great character. Like, I never would have even made that tick comparison. But you're right. That kind of like super strong, super like well equipped to deal with the situation superhero. But they're like kind of a big bumbling doofus, and they don't even realize yeah. it. Kind of. <laughs> so that was a funny ass cartoon, by the way. But oh, I just started watching it again on Saturday mornings. It made it back into my rotation. So oh, yeah. Yeah. I need to I need to revisit it at some point. I rewatched the first episode like years ago. I just remember cracking up. There's the dude who's like the spoof of the Punisher, and he's always crying. Right, dude. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's so good because again, it, watching it after all this time, I'd really like to read the comics, but they're kind of not the easiest to get a hold of. Yeah, but yeah, dude, it's awesome. It's hilarious and it holds up very well. So yeah, I recommend. It's on Hulu if you have that. So. I know a lot of people didn't like it. Not to get too off topic about the tick, but I know a lot of people didn't like it. But there was like a live action show in the early two thousands that I just thought was actually really funny. For the There's tick. two of them, and I can't remember because there's the one, one on saw... Amazon that's more recent. But there was yeah, one on and that Amazon. one. It's actually like hardcore graphic violence, which really threw me off. And oh, I yeah. watched the first couple episodes, and I kind of just fell off. A lot. I don't know why I did, but yeah, yeah. No, the one in the two thousands is more of a sitcom. I can get like it, it didn't weigh in as much on the superhero aspects. I like, guess why people didn't like it, but. I thought it was funny for what it was. but All right. So on to my runner up here. So got season one, episode two, Enter the Shredder. That's a badass episode. So, okay. So it's your first appearance of Krang. It's your first appearance of Mutated Bebop and Rocksteady. And then you get a very, very, very cool fight, which is it's kind of a bummer that it's against robots, but it's against really cool robots. So like all these giant, ridiculous machines and stuff like that. And like I said earlier, Michelangelo somehow just beats the crap out of them with his nunchucks and they just explode. And Raphael cuts the wings off that thing with the size and they're not even a sharp weapon or anything. Yeah. So there is some silly stuff that goes on, but it's really cool action, especially compared to what happens later. But it's really cool how you get your Bebop and Rocksteady origin and stuff. And it's, it's kind of a bummer that they almost immediately make them doofuses right off yeah. the bat. But it's cool when they actually do like pop back up to the surface and they do kind of like get a hold of the turtles and actually seem like a bit of a threat, but then they just get covered. I can't remember if that's when they get put in the jail. They put in the back of the pen or if they get covered in the concrete at that time. I can't remember which one it is. Oh, they get put in the zoo cage. Yeah, they get put back in the zoo cage. Yeah, it's just cool. We get all these origins. And first Roadkill Rodney, too. This is the first time he appears. So you get a lot of characters that are big staples introduced in this episode. And it follows the first episode, which you can probably guess might be coming here in a little bit. Yeah, I just really, really, really like that first season. It's a really good episode. It just continues the action from the first episode. And it also brings in their quadruple bunk beds for the first time too which is funny because in the episode before it definitely shows their bedrooms and stuff like where april's sleeping so i just always thought it was funny whenever they threw in the quadruple bunk beds again simple episode not super thick with plot or anything like that but just all part of that first arc that i really love yeah, that's definitely a super classic episode. I remember watching that one very early on. Although I have like a weird like 
false memory about it that somehow my brother sh- shared also where we remembered Bebop and Rocksteady being mutated in the zoo and you see it happen. Like there's a rhino behind Rocksteady in a cage and a warthog behind Bebop. None of that happens. But uh, yeah, for, some reason, <laughs> for some reason, we both remembered it that way. I don't know if one of us said it. Maybe it was one of those five in the morning episodes, but no, one of us uh, maybe misremembered it. And the other one, re- their memory was so foggy. They just overrode the memory with that or something. Or I don't know, but yeah, it's a classic episode, though. It's great. Uh, my number two is Return of the Technodrome, which is the finale of season two. Yep. And uh, it really kind of is like the finale of the show. It could have been a final episode. Like, it's almost written like it's the final episode. It seems like the thought process was like, okay, if we don't get more seasons of the show, we can end it right here. Yeah, Because uh, you, you have, like everything happens and like the 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 majority of the stuff i love is in like the final third of the episode where the the turtles and splinter yeah like infiltrate the technodrome they find the technodrome underground and they go into the technodrome and you know they fight bebop and rocksteady and everybody and foot uh, foot soldiers and all but then splinter goes off to fight shredder and they have like the the star Wars kind of moment where shredders like, you know, walking down the hallways with all his foot soldiers. And he's like, I, I sense the presence of my old, like, you know, enemy, right. like, let me go face him. He walks off. It's like the exact quote Darth Vader says, and then they meet on the bridge, like just like Vader and, uh, and Obi-Wan, but it's such an epic battle. And then it even kind of turns into like the end of temple of doom at the end where like the bridge collapses on like either side and stuff. And it's such a cool, like, uh, explosive finish literally because they blow up the technodrome right and like shredder krang bebop and rocksteady are all in the technodrome so like if season three never happened you just assume those dudes were dead like they're just like that the whole technodrome just blows up i don't remember actually there might be a little tease that they're still around at the end but actually i don't think there is but yeah it's, it's just like it's one of the most epic finales they ever had because the first three seasons, they always wanted to do a finale. The third season had like three episodes, like the big something and like so on. For me, season two, that was just like the first time they did like a big finale that wasn't part of the original season one arc. And it just, it was so big. It was hard to like ever top that again. I think season three is when the Technodrome comes to New York City and starts like trashing everything and stuff. Yeah, I don't know. For me, the the, the return of the Technodrome is just like the, the greatest uh, finale episode they had in later seasons it kind of makes sense what you're saying too because season one five episodes it was a mini series pretty much really short season two was like okay this mini series was good give us a little more but it wasn't until season three where they hit syndication and they're like okay this is a hit like this is gonna go forever and be gangbusters so you're right at the end of season two they could have kind of tied up that bowl right there if they didn't get anything else because it does feel very contained too. Like season one, I mean, it kind of starts off with like, it tries to have that serialization with the eye of, I always forget it. The eye of Sarnak. 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 And they kind of abandoned that, but it definitely just does wrap it up. And it feels like a very epic way to where later their season finales are almost like a spoof of that. So I can't remember if it's season four or five or six or which one it even is where they're like, find the technodrome infiltrate blah 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 they even like make fun of it themselves but that's definitely the one that really like sets that up for sure yeah they take it like very seriously it's like watching that as a little kid you feel like you're watching like 
any crazy action movie, you feel like you're watching Total Recall or something. Like you're right. watching it from like epic action sci-fi adventure. Yeah, it's just it's awesome. I think it's I think definitely you can see like season three, they they realized they were renewed because like, all right, make 60 episodes or 40 right. episodes, whatever it is. Season two, I don't know if they like they knew it was popular, but so many cartoons in the 80s had one season and then they were done. Yeah. So like even popular ones, even ones people know, like Brave Star and stuff, like it had a season. So yeah, uh, I think Silverhawks only had a season, I think. So it's like they might not have known that they were going to get like a whole show out of this. Silverhawks might have had it too. But I don't know. Uh, so like the it, it seems like they were setting up, like, OK, if we have to end it, this is how it's going to end. And season three is when they realized, like, OK, we got these kids by the balls. Like <laughs> they love our show. Uh, so, yeah, I, I love that episode. So honorable mentions. So one of them we already covered. So I would say Sky Turtles would have been my hard number 11 for sure and then the other two were the two episodes from season one that didn't make into my top 10 so think about rats and then shredder and the splinter or shredder and splinter i love season one they're some of my favorite episodes it was almost at one time i thought maybe all five of them were gonna make it in my top 10 but then once i realized how many favorite episodes i had i was surprised that two of them even got the boot but that first season just super special i just really love all those episodes it's just a great mini series a great start to finish arc the way everything goes but each episode is still pretty awesome on its own and then sky turtles we kind of already touched on everything i liked about that episode really awesome episode really fun and just one of my most memorable ones from my childhood so my number one and i feel like you could probably figure it out by now <laughs> i think is I know. first episode turtle track season one episode one it just is such a great start to this show. Such a good introduction. It, it's cool how it shows the turtles just kicking Bebop and Rocksteady's gang's ass before you even see them. And then you kind of just see them walk forward. And I really like the way they're drawn in this episode. They're, it's even different than episode two, I feel like. Like, they have that sharp line on their yeah. nose. And it's just very, very, very different. But all the action scenes in this are just so good. Like, the first time they fight the foot soldiers and they realize they're robots, like, that's probably my favorite fight scene in the entire series. It's just so cool. It's so fun. And they have all these other, like, just really stupid things that happen in this episode. Like, going to the Ninja Pizzeria, and it's the first time you realize, I guess even before that, they eat their weird pizza for breakfast. You get that cool escape scene from the building where it starts filling up with water and all the foot soldiers are leaving and they have to get up to the roof and they get out of the building. And then one of the most iconic characters that I feel like is a deep cut but iconic at the same time is the granny with the machine gun. Like the first interaction they have with any people other than trailer or, or other than April the first person that sees them, they just freaking pull out this granny with the machine gun. And it's just such a good, memorable character. It reminds me of the granny with the machine gun from the, the old Super Mario Brothers movie. He was like, right. give me all your Koopa coins or whatever. But yeah, honestly, that, that fight with the, the first fight with the foot soldiers is probably the most well animated and like badass fight in the yeah. entire series, actually. It is a perfect start. Actually, it's funny you mentioned like the hard line in the nose. I guess this episode had such an impact on me when I was a kid. Anytime I drew the turtles, like crayon or whatever, I always gave them that hard line in the middle of their nose. Actually, yeah. like it just—it always seemed like, oh, that's a detail they should have. I mean, I don't really have a whole lot else to say on it. Super iconic episode, and it's just strongest memories with it. It's probably the episode that I watched the most as a kid, and again, I feel like it's objectively the best, and it is my favorite. Okay, my my—I have five honorable mentions. Three of them are, you know 
contestants for possibly being on my list. Two of them are just on there because they were just epic moments for me as a kid. So the three that almost made it on the list are Pizza by the Shred, which we already talked about, uh, Casey Jones, Outlaw Hero, because it didn't make it to the top because Casey Jones is just not really like a significant character in this iteration of the turtles, which is weird, but it's such a great episode. And Casey's just such a maniac. He's hilarious. Right. I I love what he has like all those like one liners. He says to like all the punks he's beating up in the sporting goods store and everything at the beginning. And I just love his voice. He's doing like exaggerated Clint Eastwood, like sleazeball when he's talking to everyone. It's just funny because, you know, he's like the human hero but he's like 20 times crazier than the right? four giant turtle. <laughs> like, like they're like, what the hell is wrong with this guy? <laughs> uh, but it's definitely not the most interesting introduction for Casey. Like I like it much more when Casey and Raph have a dynamic, like the comics and then the 2003 cartoon and the movie and everything, but it's still a great episode. So I felt like it was worthy of being on um, honorable mentions. Same with Enter the Fly. That's the one where Baxter gets mutated for the first time. It's awesome. This, like I have all the memories of him getting mutated in the final scene where he gets like sent into like whatever limbo or whatever. That those are all super memorable. But the rest of the episode isn't like particularly super memorable. So it didn't make my list. Um, then the other two that I have on that are just because I remember them being a big deal when I was a kid was Michelangelo meets Mondo Gecko because I loved Mondo Gecko as a kid yeah. and. For some I reason, that was gonna kid, be one that was gonna be in your top ten for sure. <laughs> for some reason, as a kid, I thought it was a two-parter, but it wasn't. Uh, it was just one episode. You know, as a kid, everything feels a lot longer and more epic. So I thought there was like so much time of like not knowing Mondo Gecko was a gecko, but it's like the second time we see him, he just pulls off his trench coat and he's a gecko. But uh, yeah, that one, it's not a great episode. That was just season five. That's when like the quality started to dip a little bit. But as a kid, I loved it. And uh, Planet of the Turtleoids, which is a two-parter, which is uh, the ground chucking dirtbag and Chrome Dome episode, because it's not that great when you go back and watch it now. Like it's it's little more than a toy commercial. But as a kid, it was like it felt like I was watching a movie. So yeah. it was like this epic moment. They were hyping it like for a while, and then when it came on, I remember like we all watched it in the living room together. It was shown at prime time. It wasn't shown like when the episodes were normally shown. So, like, my whole family watched it with me. We were probably like, what the fuck am I watching? Like, my mom right. was probably like, what the fuck is this? <laughs> but we loved it. Yeah, I just remember that having a big impact on me. But, again, watching it today, which is it's hard to find. It's actually one of probably the hardest episode of Turtles to track down. Uh, but it's not. It does not hold up. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, my number one, I'm going to be a big fucking cheater here. And I'm going to say my number one is The Epic Begins which is not the name of any one episode. It's the name of the first VHS tape that was released. That was season one, <laughs> just packaged onto a VHS tape. So my number one is season one, because I can't pick season one episodes apart from each other. So I'm just going to say all five episodes tie for the number one space for me. Dude, so. I'm not even kidding. I almost was going to do that. <laughs> I almost was going to do the same thing because like you, I love the first season so much. And I do feel like it is just one, like each episode is kind of episodic. Like I can, I can definitely break them up in my mind, but it all feels just like one smooth story to me. Yeah. It definitely feels like you can't, I I can't have one without the other. It's kind of like when I say my top five favorite movies, I say my number four favorite movie is the universal monsters. And it's like, that's, that's like 50 fucking movies, but I'm like, 
Yeah, but I can't have the Wolfman without Dracula. I can't have Frankenstein without the Invisible Man. So it's like, that's how I feel about the first one. It's like, in the first season, it's just like, I, I can't have any of them without the others. They're a complete package. Like we keep saying, they're basically a miniseries. So the same way people would call, you know, Stephen King's It from 1990 a movie, even though it was technically a two-night miniseries, I call this an episode. So uh, for me, it's th those five episodes. I know in the actual VHS tape, The Epic Begins, they took out one of them and then took out, took out a thing about rats. I believe, I, I never had the VHS tape, but I believe I've heard they took out every scene involving Baxter, weirdly enough. Interesting. Uh, so they just pretend Baxter doesn't exist in that. Uh, okay, because I would say that's kind of the episode that plays the least into the overall arc, but at the same time, it introduces the Mousers, which is a pretty yeah. big deal, I feel like. And it, it's the most, like, Baxter-centric episode. Yeah. So, uh, and Baxter's such a huge deal in season two. He's like, you know, we always think of the, the bad guys as Shredder, Bebop, Rocksteady, and Krang. But for most of season two, it's Shredder and Baxter. Yeah, like Baxter's, Baxter's hanging out. Monday. He's like his sidekick a lot, for sure. Yeah. So it's, uh, you know, it was important to set him up. Because that's, you know, that's more true to the Mirage comics. It's like the main, not that Baxter's working for Shredder, but that Baxter and Shredder, they're the two first villains we meet in the Mirage comics. So, like, issue one is Shredder, issue two is Baxter. So yeah. I can see where they were coming from, but, you know, Bebop and Rocksteady were so much more popular, I guess, that uh, they kind of took over. But, yeah, uh, season one's awesome. Like you said, episode two, I love that episode so much where it sets up Bebop and Rocksteady. I have a video on my channel. It's probably my favorite video on my channel, actually, is where I hypothetically talk about my dream Ninja Turtle movie. Like, if you can make, like, if I can make my ultimate Ninja Turtle dream movie. And then I, I did, like, you know, if I made sequels and I just get little ideas for sequels. But most of my movie is, like, the 1990 movie mixed with the first two episodes of the cartoon show. So it's, like, I, I kind of copied all of that stuff into there because I'm, like, my ultimate dream Ninja Turtles would be the night my favorite two iterations of the turtles which is season one of the 87 show and the 1990 movie like i can't have the introduction of the turtles without like when you said them like kind of stepping out of the light and then like you see them after they kicked a bunch of ass and, and stuff like there's just so many cool introductions in that first season and just awesome ways they do things like you said awesome fighting scenes and it does take itself a little more seriously it's still funny it's still for kids but it took itself a little more seriously and uh, yeah, it just, it is like almost like if you just watch that as an animated movie, like you just watch season one, it, it holds up pretty well, actually. Yeah, I think so too. Cause again, the last episode that we really didn't touch on individually, you get an awesome fight between splinter and shredder. And yeah. then you get your introduction to Krang's Android body and it only does this once, but it blows up into that giant form, which yeah. is pretty cool. And then the turtles get inside of it. So yeah, just, so much memorable scenes in these first five episodes are so iconic so good and i definitely don't feel like you're wrong for making all of that your number one pick at all it is cheating but yeah i, I couldn't decide the one thing i always found weird about crane's body growing though was why does crane grow as well yeah his actual i've always wondered <laughs> that too yep because they're like oh the the suit's made out of this special material the girl's like well crane's not he's a freaking brain right? so. yeah but yeah, it's a great episode though. And then yeah, just the whole scene of them going into the body and stuff was so cool. Just like everything about that. There's so much like 
just action and crazy off the wall ideas for adventure. Like you, you, you had like crazy adventures going on in every Saturday morning cartoon, but like how many of them had a, a, a kaiju sized robot man with a brain in his stomach that you have to travel inside of to destroy from the inside. Like there's just so much crazy shit going on in that first season, like rock soldiers with a machine that makes it snow and all this right. stuff. It's like they come from another dimension where a, a hot rod car from the fifties comes out with a bunch of greaser elves. It's like, what the fuck is this show? Yeah, man. Awesome. I mean, they just came out swinging. Like I said, ideas from everywhere. Like it's all over the place, but it all <laughs> comes together to work so well together. Yeah, it's just a masterpiece. I think season one is a masterpiece. I can going back and watching it, you can definitely tell. Like watching season one, you're like, I get why this blew up immediately and like just took over Saturday mornings. And right. Because it's like, was that when it was on Saturday morning? That was actually when it was being shown in the afternoons. I don't remember, but I can see why it took over the cartoon world in the 80s. Cause like I love 80s cartoons, but Ninja Turtles was like a clear step above the rest of them yeah. with that first season. That's Hear my dogs running around like they gotta take a piss. You got any other thoughts? <laughs> no, that's it. That's my that's both of our top tens for the classic Fred Wolf cartoon. All right, yeah, I'm excited to do another top ten. This is a lot of fun. It's definitely gonna be our <laughs> longest episode for sure, but that's yeah, what I was, was saying. a lot there, of fun. There was another top ten idea that I had that you were like, I don't know if we could go a whole hour. I'm like, top tens are gonna take a long time. Yeah. I think. <laughs> now I see that. So yeah, we could probably yeah spin right. something out of nothing on these ones so yeah all right well yeah all right guys hope you enjoyed that let us know your top 10 episodes and yeah we'll hopefully hopefully we're not liars we got chris fawcett coming on episode 11 if everything <laughs> works out so yeah yeah catch you guys in a couple weeks peace peace